It's Tuesday, January 11th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam, this is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak for breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear for you military and LEO listeners. Need something custom? They will hook you up with some hot melted Kydex. Use a code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. Hmm. This is definitely sleepy time music, huh? Right. And you know who the sleep expert is? Mike Lindell and our newest partner, MyPillow. Newly reannounced and introduced sleepwear, probably of Giza quality, can be found at MyPillow.com. And a promo code stake at checkout for big, big savings, over 600 MyPillow products. Or just go to the website direct, MyPillow.com forward slash stake. Or talk to a pillow representative via the telephone, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear, as it sits on Noah's head, can be found at odyssey.com. Whether you're gaming, potting, or playing a nice little song like this, Odyssey is the place to get those ears taken care of and treated right. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. He's also a licensed FFL. More importantly, he's got ammo. A lot of new selections on the website to start the year. If you're interested in those shooty shoots, head over to his newly redesigned website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. You can talk to him via the telephone at 619-870-6992 or find him on Facebook Messenger. He answers back really fast. Our first responders are working hard in this new year, saving lives. Fighting COVID. Definitely not shutting it down, though. Uh, when they're off duty, they're wearing mediocre medic apparel, t shirts, sweatshirts, flip flops, fanny packs, and more. Can be found at mediocremedic.com. Stickers, patches also. Check out their pretty fire IG. And then the gold standard of tactical flair, dumpbox.us, home of the zero fuck stuck. If you don't know, go ask Mark. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our telegram, and more. On that note, welcome. Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 98. I'm Roan. Noah's here. 
Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hello, hello. We're going to have congressional candidates out of New York 14, Desi Quaylar, and Arizona 4, Kelly Cooper, joining us later in the show. And then our guest today to do the news is a returning guest, former Sky News anchor, Miss Hannah Kirkpatrick. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys. I'm so happy to be back. And we're happy, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. And we're, of course, happy to have you. How are you doing? Yeah, well, I'm good, good, good. But will it be a happy year? But <laughs> positive, it will be. I'm, I'm sure. It can't be any worse than last year. Right. Oh, same as last year. <laughs> so far, uh, so far, still crappy here in the U.S. But for all of our internationalists, yep, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's let's get an update from you in the U.K. What's going on right now with your government with the COVID stuff? What's what's happening uh, over there? You know what? Right, I'm probably the worst um, ex. <laughs> well, I'm the I'm the best ex Sky News presenter, but um, in terms of you know trying to keep up with this country's crap, I try not to let the image of what, who I call the potato on a stick, Boris Johnson, mm. permeate my brain too much. But um, where we're at, masks became uh, mandatory again in shops. Obviously, you're going to ignore that anyway. And they're just kind of like slowly, slowly, like, you know, amping up this crap. You know, everyone should be so afraid. Um, get your boosters. I haven't got a text uh, to tell me to get my booster. Not obviously have the first two. And um, another text uh, is going around uh, where you have to download some app. And uh, we're being threatened with a fine if we don't download it. Um, obviously not doing that either. But um, other than that, it's just the same old, same old um uh just just ramping up the fear you, you kind of feel it coming and uh, and, I, and i'm trying to tell my friends you know they're gonna do this they wouldn't do that <laughs> really guys they wouldn't yeah. do that okay what am i a clairvoyant you know no so yeah it's just um just more bullshit really that's it wrapping up the news this is the day's news so it's bullshit 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 yeah. wear your mask i feel like i feel like the the audio clip that goes the best with everything that's that's going on nowadays is from the big lebowski and it's like you're not wrong, man. You're just an asshole. Yes, yes. I've, I've got um, actually screenshots. Out there, though. When I when I see a, I'm air quoting here for the people that obviously are listening to this and can't see it. News alerts come on my phone <laughs> that I find particularly ridiculous and pissed like piss me off. I, I screenshot them. So um, here's one, a recent one that annoyed me. Oh no, this is a good one. This is when I was like happy about Djokovic like you know taking a stand uh yeah. right let me see if I could uh, if I can't find them quick enough there's a little segment I'll, I'll get into it in a little bit but like, I just keep screenshotting the absolute crap I'm just thinking are people actually still buying this and I, and I just share it out and I'm saying like friends are you okay like are you still believing it but they, they keep, basically they're pumping out numbers you know with Omicron this and more deadly than we first believed and Omicron hospitals overwhelmed with and I well, that's kind of a wide open, more deadly, than, yeah. <laughs> more deadly than we first believed. It's like, okay, well, that could be any like fraction of a fraction of a percent. So we didn't really think exactly. it was going to be that deadly, but exactly. it's, it's definitely more deadly than the not so deadly that we thought yeah. that it you was going 0. to be. 0.0001% more chance of being more seriously ill with this version than the other version. You're in oh, dire, gosh, danger. Yeah, no. dire danger of the sniffles. Like maybe a little, <laughs> yeah, literally. Maybe a little lung, yeah, lung butter. It's just called, it's a cold hunt. Everyone's going to, I think I've got COVID. I think I've got COVID. I said, 
Right. How many times do I have to tell you, stop taking the test? Yeah, can we please, can we just all start there, please? Don't do the PCR. Stop feeding into the bullshit. Yeah. Please. Just do it for me, guys. If you just do me, like please. you used to do when you get sick. Just, you know, don't go just, outside and just fucking hang out. Eat, have some cold medicine. Yeah. Get some soup. A little chicken soup. And, and shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah, maybe a kebab, depending on where you live. And stop posting on social media about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here we go. This is all I found one. And I'll, then I'll shut up because I know we've got to go crack on. Because um, obviously I wasn't, I just, just came into my mind. You know, I'm like, things just pop in my head randomly. I'm, I'm on the fly here. <laughs> um, I've got a, screen, a screenshot of news alerts from the 22nd of December, which I obviously um, screen recorded, screenshot for some COVID shit. Um, no further restrictions in England before Christmas, Boris Johnson confirms. Oh, thanks, mate, because you did tell us that the previous year and then you, you know, you went back on that. And, <laughs> Yeah, and then there's another one here. Uh, so um, in Scotland, they call New Year's Eve Hogmanay. So new restrictions in Scotland from Boxing Day. No fans in stadiums and Hogmanay cancelled. They're the New Year's Eve cancelled. Um, and then here, um, Queen to stay at Windsor for Christmas and not go to Sandringham after careful consideration. Ooh. Now that fear of being, you know, whoever's listening to this that isn't really on our page, uh, being called a complete tinfoil hat person. <laughs> you know, was the, the, we're getting ready for the Queen's death announcement, aren't we? Uh, so that's why I screenshot that. So that's about it from England for now. No, we definitely saw it. And now in the United States, you see a lot of the backtracking on the on the COVID yeah. misinformation that's coming out from the government that's talking about, uh, you know, the people are really paying for all of their selfish holiday travel. And that's where this, <laughs> that, that's it's everybody on their team. Yeah, exactly. Oh. So it, it's one of those things where the, the Fear, narrative is shifting. Selfishness, hate yourself, it, don't love yourself, don't follow, don't believe in God, like blah, 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 you know. Big time. But now if you catch COVID, it's up to your employer's discretion to determine how much time off you take from work. If it's busy, you're going into work. Well, that's that hashtag science thing again. Right. It's, it's not actual <laughs> yeah. science. It's just like, well, yeah. five. Science, you know, science. two weeks is a little long. We there's a lot of people calling in sick right now. Yeah. So, um, well, the thing with about science, five days? guys, do you not remember? Science changes. <laughs> Pretty sure science is something that isn't it not used. That they they do tests to confirm that the same result is achieved by you know like in science you do a, like an experiment, don't you, to end up at the same result and then that's then confirmed as you know <laughs> an agreed science yeah. right chain science isn't like a fucking but you can't you know, question science you're definitely not, not allowed to question science that's that's wrong no 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 when you, yeah, you can't question fauci even though that's what actual science is is questioning no he fauci is science yeah <laughs> And we'll get, we'll get into yeah. that a little bit later. We're going to kind of paint a picture today in our, in our COVID forever segment to start off. It's kind of a long one, but it's it's definitely, like I said, part of the changing narrative in, in regards to the whole thing, <laughs> both domestically and abroad. So over the weekend, it was Rochelle Walensky, head of the CDC, her turn to do the, the cable news cycle. And, and she, she joined Fox News, uh, talked to our least favorite election caller, Brett Baer. She was on with... Uh, Good Morning America as well, and then CNN. We're going to start off with CNN first and talking about just exactly what the vaccines can and cannot do. Let's listen to this. 
Um, our vaccines are working exceptionally well. They continue to work well for Delta with regard to severe illness and death. They prevent it. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. Oh. So if you're going home to somebody who has not been vaccinated, <laughs> to somebody who can't get vaccinated, somebody who might be immunosuppressed or a little bit fail, oh. uh, frail, somebody who has um, uh, comorbidities that put them at high risk, I would suggest you oh. wear a mask in public indoor setting. <laughs> wear a mask in the shower and when you oh, sleep. Sorry, guys. Sorry, yeah. I can't even. Yeah, yeah you're going to get a lot of this fuck's sake for me today. I've had enough. We, we recommend you waterboard yourself in the shower. Oh, <laughs> I'll to say something. Can you come and do it for me? That's a bit too far. <laughs> yeah, it's been that kind of a day. Anyway, I'll give it a go. If you don't hear from me for the next show, it, it worked. Nice. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, well, that's kind of where it started. And she would go on. You know, one of the biggest things we, we talk about when, when we're talking about this whole COVID narrative and, and some of the things that we don't hear is the uh, follow-up questions. Um, one of the biggest things that is really starting to fall through as far as the narrative goes right now is the overall number of COVID deaths. We all know that there's 100 trillion COVID deaths worldwide now. It's been reported by major news outlets in the United States over the past 24 hours that there's more COVID cases than there are people living here. So, you know, yeah, I saw some numbers over the weekend that said there was like 700 million new COVID cases in America. Yeah, just like, like, oh, wasn't that from like uh, million people, right? Are we talking about election integrity again? <laughs> yeah, right. So, <laughs> How many people voted for Biden? Well, uh, now that enough people from both sides of the aisle are challenging the number of COVID deaths because we it's really hard to find people who have just died from COVID. Let's hear Walensky talk on Good Morning America about maybe being a little bit more specific about it. Overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. And yes, really encouraging news in the context of Omicron. This um, means not only just to get your primary series, but to get your booster series. Um, and yes, we're really encouraged um, by these results. Antoinette, when you hear that 75% of all COVID deaths came with people that had Four or more comorbidities. Doesn't that sound a little bit conspiracy theory-ish? Extremely. I know I've been called crazy for the last almost two years because Oops. I was trying to tell people this. And now they're saying it themselves. We've we've lost several accounts for, for basically yeah. amplifying that kind of a narrative that said, you know, you have to weigh at least 600 pounds, have congestive heart failure and mm -hmm. diabetes, probably a limb amputated to catch COVID and then be in the small percentile of people who actually die from just that COVID hurting all of the rest of the stuff that's wrong with your body. Well, the fact yeah. check's going to say that you weren't removed from your apartment with a forklift, so Or one of those false. whale harnesses. Yeah. This is, this is the same as what they did with the, um, the, the, I hate saying his name, Fauci came out mm. and said that about the kids. They, didn't it, was it him? Was it him? Sure, it was Fauci. Kids? Who said this? Do you know what I'm talking about? The uh, children are being, yeah, they're admitted to hospital. Oh, it's um, Sotomayor, uh, the, the no, Supreme Court Justice. Right. Yeah. Not actual Sorry, COVID, yeah. yeah. And that sounds you know, exactly like... They, they might have broken a leg, and then I remember yeah. sharing it going, he's actually saying it, guys. He's saying the thing we've been saying. Well, <laughs> I think one of the biggest things that we, we've run into... Um, and we, we talk about it on the show at extent, you know, we've, we've all talked about it. We've talked about it with guests as well. Our follow-up questions when they're asked about some of these talking points. Now our least favorite election integrity, Arizona poll results caller, Meh. Brett bear, who's been filling in for Chris Wallace on that Sunday morning news show on Fox news had 
Molinsky join him on Sunday, and he actually pushed back on on, on some of the narrative uh, about playing downplaying the and defending you know the anti vaxxers I want you guys to hear this clip now. It's the best follow up question I've heard for COVID probably since the beginning. But I guess, do you know how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID or how many are with COVID, but they had other comorbidities? Do you have that breakdown? Um, yes, of course. With Omicron, we're following that very carefully. Our death registry, Mm-mm. of course, um, takes a few weeks to and is, uh, takes a few weeks to collect. Um, and of course, Omicron has just been with us for a few weeks, but those data will be forthcoming. But, you know, the questioning in the Supreme Court also said that Omicron was as deadly as Delta. That is not true, right? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Oh, yes, you Omicron is not as deadly as Delta, at least by your data right now, right? We are starting to see data from other countries that indicate um, on a person-by-person basis it may not be. However, given the volume of cases that we're seeing with Omicron, we very well may see death rates rise uh, dramatically. Okay, uh, back to the mandates for a second. People are losing their jobs. More than 220 Marines, sailors, um, airmen have been kicked out of the military uh, for refusing to get vaccinated. Healthy service members, uh, some of them have circulating antibodies in their blood from past infections, uh, but they're not the antibodies the government recognizes. Is that fair? Um, you know, I think the thing that's most disruptive to um, any business or industry is to have half their workforce out because they're sick with COVID. We have seen with the Omicron variant that um, prior protection protects you less well than it had with um, with the current uh, with than it had with prior variants. So having previous infection seems to not protect you as well as um, against Omicron. Um, right now, I think the most important thing to do is to protect Americans. We do that by getting them vaccinated and getting them boosted. Yeah, and I know that's the message, but the Omicron variant is infecting the vaccinated. It, and the vaccinated are transmitting the, the virus, correct? Um, that is true. Um, it's infecting them at a lower rate. And importantly, those people who are um, vaccinated and infected with Omicron um, are not the ones who are ending up very sick in the hospital. Those are the people who are unvaccinated. See that's the that's that shit Liar. that pisses me off because yeah, what a where, where's where is your data based basing on <laughs> they're making shit a lower up. rate that's there the same no as <laughs> that's the same as just the broad you know broad brush strokes on well the vaccines prevent your uh, provide do provide some protection and, and you hear her all manicky every time you like ask the question that she you know she knows the answer to the data's out there. She needs more time. <laughs> I don't have those numbers. And it's but just like. Know yeah. that people know the truth, you know, and they're starting to see. And and uh, she doesn't know what to say. I mean, th- their yeah. lies are catching up with them and they're conflicted and they're exactly. contradicting themselves consistently. So she's like, mm-hmm. oh, sh- sh- like she doesn't know. Well, like, yeah, she's, she's going to be the one that's on the hook. the lies, don't you? forget your no- the narrative because you tell so many lies. It's like hard to remember what you said, but. Truth well, no, is the truth. Yeah, it never changes. Well, that too, but she's just trying. She's trying to figure out any which way to keep the narrative going because of the hurt rewards, you know. Well, I think one of the biggest biggest points too we need to make is now with the midterm elections coming up, and they're already being, I believe, it's already up to twenty four House Democrats who aren't either running again, uh, are redistricted out of their district, and aren't going to have a House seat available, or are retiring. Combined right. with the fact that they thought they were going to be able to do COVID forever in the United States, when we have things like mm-hmm. the Constitution, um, you know that kind of like 
protects that us in certain thing, ways. Yeah, yeah that, that that doesn't protect people in other countries. Let's just say, for instance, yeah. places like Australia, uh, they're they're running into a, cool. to a little bit of a of, of a roadblock. So I, I think. Uh, you know, it's really interesting to see when she goes around and does the news cycle and then the follow-up shows, I'm going to play Jake Tapper right here. He's going to be talking with Sanjay Gupta. And, and they're starting to get this narrative where they hear her inconsistently, like, bumble facts through three different programs. I believe she did five overall. When you start to hear some, some of these news people really start to lose it and, and them lose the narrative, you, you could tell that Fauci and Walensky are probably being set up to be some of the fall guys for the administration. Let's hear them kind of weigh in on this. So the hospitals are still stretched thin because of this, so I'm not trying to take away from that. But if 40% in some hospitals, 40% of the people who have COVID don't necessarily have problematic COVID. They're there because they got in a car accident. They get, they're there because, right. um, you know, they, they bump their head. And they're being included as in the hospital with COVID. That number seems kind of misleading. Yeah, I agree, Jake. It surprises me that they have not been able to parse out that data more carefully. I think the data that uh, uh, Dr. Olensky is quoting is from New York State, and we've been following that data as well. And I can show you what we've seen, uh, sort of sort of tracks with what she said. But out of all the patients that are in the hospital, about 57%, these are COVID patients, admitted because of or complications from COVID, 43% admitted for other reasons and then diagnosed with COVID. Uh, I think, you know, there needs to be transparency about that uh, in terms of for or with COVID. The only thing I will tell you, Jake, again, working (laughs) in the hospital is that at the time someone is then diagnosed with COVID, even if they didn't come in for that reason, it does take up a a lot of resources then in terms of infection protocols, personal protective equipment, more testing, all that kind of stuff. So even though that may not have been the initial impetus to bring them to the hospital, it it just requires a lot lot of energy and resources uh, on behalf of the hospital staff and and, and the, the testing and all that sort of stuff. So they, we need to get better about being able to see this data. New York State, I think, is too. one of the few states that's presenting it that way for or with COVID, but other states should follow suit. The American Heart Association, I'm sorry, American Health Association says they have a hard time sort of separating out that data. But clearly, nah. New York State's been able to do it. Other states exactly. do it as well. Yeah, we're two years into this, and to, we need the clearest picture possible. If somebody's in the hospital with a broken leg and they also have asymptomatic COVID, yeah. that should not be counted as hospitalized with COVID, clearly. Well, and the thing is, too, is that they're, they're, we, we know people that have gone to the hospital with COVID. You have to bring your own fucking vitamins if you want to take them there. People have come on this show and told us. People have told us at our, at our jobs and respectively in our lives that, you know, it's not like you're getting any special other kind of treatments when you go to a hospital except a COVID test. You know, if you're right. in there for a broken leg, you're going to get a COVID test, comes back positive. You get your leg put in a cast, and then you get released. Take some NyQuil, mm-hmm. drink some chicken soup, hit the orange juice. Ooh, and you're I'd good fuck to up go. some chicken soup right now. Yeah, me too. I'm going to make some today. I might have to man rub it though. Ooh. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so no, but like the fine print there is that now that we don't need the cases and we don't need all the fear porn available, now we're going to start being a little bit more dis- discerning on how we count these cases. And that number wow. needs to be broken down even into a third way because you have, they had 57% in the hospital with COVID stuff, 43% in the hospital with non-COVID related, but then testing positive for COVID. How much of that 57% are those people with multiple comorbidities? Exactly. You know, that that, that put them in a whole different category than the people who are just in there with COVID stuff. You know, this is the thing that really pisses me off on this. I'm sorry to jump in there. This is what really pisses me off, right? Now, they are just literally saying now 
all the things that we've been saying for years, right? That we've been called crazy. I genuinely wouldn't have been able to be hired by, not that I'd want to be, um, a news channel, right? <laughs> Um, so it seems to me like maybe all these news channels and, you know, all these experts and all these people that are now trying to put this narrative out, maybe they should have been hiring us, you know, because we've been saying this shit, as Antoinette said, for two fucking years. Oh, it just makes me insane. And like you said about the hospitals, extra money. Well, yeah, because you had to put in all these bullshit things in place. Perslex glass and freaking all these PPE aprons and then everyone's triple, triple 17 masked up. And that's the money. Like, and the test, it isn't a test. Oh, don't get me. They're in there with COVID. No one even knows because there isn't a test. I get very angry about the test thing. Very angry about the test thing. Yeah, the test thing is definitely something we all know. The faster you spin it, the more things it's going to pop positive yeah, just, for. So. Just start at the foundation of the, 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 of the bullshit. Like, it, the, the foundation of it, this whole thing. Cases, case, you can't even ever say there was a case because you don't. there wasn't a test that could ever test the thing that, that as doesn't even exist apparently in any lab in the world as a live sample of any it's a, it's a code on a computer right yeah covid so they've already admitted that they can't tell the difference yeah it's just like come on go the flu or omicron so i don't know how they're determining who has mm. omicron in the first place let alone covid exactly. because they've exactly. never, I mean, there was a study that was done i forget what um i've spoke about it before on the show I'm not sure if it was Yale or Harvard, maybe even Stanford, one of the one of the big ones, where they actually tested the tests that were supposedly positive for COVID, and none of them were positive for COVID. They were all positive for flu. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I know. Testing I know. right now, and if anybody knows any of this information, I mean, obviously they know they know the truth, but if people are getting this, and they, even the CDC admitted that they can't tell the difference, so why are people? <laughs> Into French, which is why it's been discontinued. Well, the use of the PCR, isn't it? I've never taken a test. No, this entire time, not one time. It's absolutely, it's useless. Yeah, completely. I was. I try to explain this to friends, and you just get the fluoride stare, and I just think, oh. I mean, my my father's pretty awake, but because he lives in Tommy, New York, he gets like, kind of like, fear porned a bit by his friends who are sheep. So then he's like, okay, I'm gonna go get get yeah. tested. It's the, it's, the, it's the social, you know, the, the social um, trying to please everyone. You know, people, the people, I'm not calling your dad this, by the way, no, the people my, pleasing of it. My dad is, is in, in his 60s, and a lot of his friends and relatives passed away in the past two years because yeah. of malpractice, not from dying from COVID. They were totally fine. But because of the fear porn, they, they went to the hospital, were put on yep. ventilators when they didn't need to be, and, exactly. and they basically killed them. So my dad, yep. you know, have see, is seeing, and he's at that age where a lot of people around him are dying, so mm-hmm. he kind of has that anxiety a bit so that's why he he's tested every once in a while but i mean we had a stern talking and we sent him all the information and told him like listen he came from a communist country this is the same shit like yeah like it's the flu you know so i mean yeah bless him good good for you and him him as an example but like i just don't understand like the hysteria with with all the testing with people when you have zero symptoms and you're waiting in line for two hours for a test yeah really and i think i think it, it is good that you bring up your dad because it's those real life experiences especially with the other family members that have passed away from medical malpractice as well to be able to weigh in and make like a cognitive decision on it because you've seen it with your own eyes you know if yeah. you're if your family members who have passed away were like catching covid and just because of covid only it was ravaging their bodies weakening their immune systems impaling their lungs and then making it to where they can't live anymore 
anymore. That would be one thing and a whole different experience to talk about, but that's just not the case. You know, you've talked with Noah and I about it offline in extent, and we've talked about it on the show as well. I definitely think it, it brings into perspective just how, you know, important getting away from this narrative that they've tried to scare us with for the last couple of years from. Or just the one size fits all medical treatments, which is really the cause of a lot of the issues that we've been having. It's mm-hmm. just, it, that's not how medicine works. You don't. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, everybody's going to get this, this, and this today. It's like, no, yeah. you have to base it based um, on what this person needs. Yeah. 100%. I think, uh, hook him up to the Hoover. He'll be fine. There you go. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Probably well, say that a, a, a cured patient is a lost customer. So. Yeah. Well, and yeah. They, they know that for sure. And they've made a whole bunch of new patients mm-hmm. and scare people into getting sick over everything with this whole COVID narrative for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Right. alone will make people sick. I, I, I've, yeah, I've come off all big, all big pharma prescriptions. I've take, stopped taking all of them in the, uh, for a year now. I've never been healthier. Mm, and I, I, have, I have none of the conditions, uh, my quoting, again, that I apparently had. Not yeah. funny. Awesome. Yeah. <sighs> anyway. Well, Mr. Potato Head himself weighed in and is big sad. <laughs> Brian Stelter talked about how it's, it's big sad when people go on to cable news and watch and just don't listen to them anymore. And it's starting to frustrate them, <laughs> especially with the COVID stuff. Let's hear what he had to cry about. It's in the reliable sources newsletter. Here's a, here's a big overly broad question for you. Okay. Is the media at this point out of touch with the public about COVID? I, I think it's hard to argue that, uh, you know, the media is a, a large uh, group of people, but a lot of the media does seem when I look at it and, and then travel the country to be very out of touch with people. I mean, if you travel the country, people are not really living in the same uh, bubble that it seems that uh, most of the media is messaging toward. And, right. and so, yeah, and, and so I, I, I think this is an issue because if people are tuning out uh, what's going on in cable news, if we're not messaging toward uh, the general population, Nobody listens um, to me. you know, they're, they're just, you know, ignoring everything and, and living their lives. Uh, and, and we're not really getting the information that they need to them. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right? God forbid they're bypassing the programming. Quick, quick. It, it, it's funny that they even have to say that. He's like, well, does it does yeah. it matter if nobody cares anymore? And he's like, well, yeah, it actually kind of does because we have really important information. And he's like, but do we really? Aren't we out of touch? <laughs> Very important brainwashing to do every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, af- after, after holiday break and... A stint with COVID, Jen Psaki, double vaxxed and boosted, was God. back. Oh, and after great. not taking time off for holiday break, but being double vaxxed and boosted, Peter Ducey, who also mm-hmm. got COVID, was both back as well. You know, someone who <laughs> spews the lies from the podium like Jen Psaki and someone who challenges that narrative like Peter Ducey, we're eventually going to run into a question about <laughs> if we're both double vaxxed and boosted and we both got COVID, why do you keep telling everybody they have to get these shots? To which she got mm-hmm. pissed and let's hear her answer. I understand that the science says that vaccines prevent death. I'm triple vaxxed, still got COVID. You're triple vaxxed, still got COVID. Bitch. Why is the president still referring to this as a pandemic 
of the unvaccinated. The unvaccinated. Well, I, I think, Peter, there's a significant difference between, and you just you just experienced this, and not to expose your public health experience, but I can speak to Mo, mine as well. Moan? I had been triple vaxxed. I had minor symptoms. There is a huge difference between that and being unvaccinated. You are 17 times more likely to go to the hospital if you're not vaccinated, 17? 20 times more likely mm -hmm. to die. And those are significant, serious statistics. So, yes, the impact uh, for people who are unvaccinated is far more dire than those who are vaccinated. Will the president update his languages sometime to be more reflective of the fact that people who are triple vaccinated are catching and spreading COVID? I think people. But president has said, as have we a number of times, that there will be breakthrough cases. There will be people who get COVID uh, here uh, at different media organizations and companies around again. the world, uh, around the country, uh, who have been vaccinated. But there is a significant difference between being hospitalized or dying and uh, being vaccinated with more mild symptoms. Mm. I don't know if I buy that. Mm. I've been perfectly un un unreinfected or infected by whatever the f this is in the last two years and i'm zero vaxxed and masked yeah I'm, as i'm sure you three guys are yeah she would she would take it to a, a a little bit more of a of an nth degree when peter pushed her on some of the information that came out last week where supreme court justice in uh, sotomayor was listening to arguments and putting out commentary on the covid narrative where she just blurted out misinformation that said Three quarters of a million kids were in the hospital with COVID and an overwhelming majority of those kids were on ventilators, which would be more people, I think, that are on ventilators in the entire world right now. So, you know, the, the misinformation that came out of the Supreme Court and one that the left ran with all weekend was one of the issues Ducey pressed around. Let's hear him kind of ask her about this little misquote. has been very aggressive countering COVID misinformation. So what do you guys think about COVID misinformation coming from the Supreme Court? And Sonia Sotomayor's false claim that over 100,000 children are in serious condition, many on ventilators. Well, I'm not going to speak to Supreme Court arguments or statements uh, made in of those arguments. Uh, but I will tell you that what is at stake here is our effort to protect health workers and most importantly, protect patients with the CMS rule and also to make workplaces safer with the OSHA rule, which we have confidence in our legal uh, argument for. So I will leave it to them uh, to decide. But that's what's being argued now. Go ahead. You guys yeah, so been very, very, very good to hear her. Just completely push the, yeah, push the question out of the way and then lie about stats and, and who they're worried about protecting when it was just a completely made up number. I don't know where she got it from, but that's what right. she said. She, she like nails on a chalkboard for me. Honestly, I fucking hate her. I'm sorry to swear. Like this. I actually get worse whenever I reference her on my Instagram. I, I'm, I won't say the C word. I just put another day, another chance for Jen to circle P back. to be a C word. Like, oh, just, she is just awful. Or the best actress in the world in if we're in a wake up movie who knows you know imagine having her job no wonder she's imagine being her like oh her, is she married i don't know imagine being married to her. i'm sorry Ugh. yeah it's crazy she has kids too oh, so, someone procreated with that oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean oh no no money in the world no money Antoinette, is it misinformation for them to still characterize anyone that's triple vax and still getting COVID as a breakthrough case anymore of course not <laughs> it's it's just ridiculous at this point. They don't even know what to call it themselves anymore. They're just going <laughs> the flow, trying to you know, hoping that people stay. You know, they think everybody's stupid and that they can you know 
say and do whatever they want to continue this bullshit going on. And mm. I mean, it's clearly failing. The narrative is being destroyed and it's falling mm. apart. They don't know what to do, how to keep it going. So they're literally putting pulling out lies from their ass and making up shit as they go along. It's 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 ridiculous. Completely. Yeah, As you were speaking about um, being a midterm year, though, did you, I'm sure you guys have seen this going around, um, which I'm sure is playing into this. Um, funny how the um, COVID narrative is, you know, all the things that, you know, we, I imagine the person has been buying it, what we like to well, bust, the truth is, have been saying uh, for the last few years is all being, you know, going out in the mainstream now. Now they don't need, um, you know, now they want to appear to uh, turn the situation around by the time it gets to the elections, you know, they're not having to use the fear of it. They want to kind of like try and get rid of this, like, you know, hot spot they've got themselves into and they make it look like it's all been a success. It's all over now, you know, by the time it comes to November. Oh yeah. They definitely want to either get away from the narrative completely or spin it yeah. in a way like they crushed the, the virus yeah. like they said they were going to do, which two things are not going to yeah. happen. I, I, I don't think that so many people, you know, we have these, a lot of these, deep blue cities and states right now that are sending their kids back to remote learning, especially in Illinois and, and, and New York state, it's just not going to go well for them in the midterm elections. If these things don't get, you know, turned around and completely gone away from, there's no science that supports anything to do with kids distance learning right now, except hurting them. Um, and, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if they're going to continue to let the most progressive left people in this country kind of dictate policy and, and make like half a dozen cities in the United States, dictate the policy for the rest of the country when it's just not the case they're going to have a, an even worse midterm election here than, than they're thinking they're going to have already i think it's going to be historical people have had enough on both sides to be fair you know yeah yeah um, when, when when brian stelter is complaining that no one listens to him anymore not like anybody <laughs> not like anybody did in the first place but just in general um you know it, it's one of those things someone who a lot of people listen to but is heavily censored in 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 the senate is, is senator ron johnson he's been i think besides mm -hmm. Rand paul probably the biggest proprietor of the the scientific data especially getting the uh people who have had problems with the vaccines and the injuries that they've incurred and the VAR stuff um he's been heavily censored online he's had tweets deleted he's had his account suspended for sharing VAR's related material he talked with maria bartiromo on sunday about it briefly and then actually challenged rachel Rochelle Walensky about it today in a congressional hearing where her and Fauci were up on the Hill again. Let's hear those clips real quick. And then we'll talk about kind of, uh, you know, some of the censorship, especially with the vaccine related stuff going on right now. If you win a third term, Senator, are you going to investigate Anthony Fauci? Well, we already are. Uh, the fact of the matter is that under four requests, uh, there are over 4,000 pages of emails between him and people like Francis Collins. Uh, we're getting them mm. in dribs and drabs. I mean, that in itself is a scandal. Uh, the, the fact that the agencies aren't being transparent with Congress or the American public. But no, we, we've get to the, got okay. to get to the bottom of, of uh, his corruption. I like it. And then Rochelle Lewinsky today was asked on Capitol Hill, I think, by Senator Johnson, what, what's up with all the uh, VAERS data getting you know, repressed. Let's hear her quick response. We have the most robust vaccine safety system than we have ever had in this country in the rollout of the va this vaccine. Our vaccine adverse events reporting system, as Senator Murphy just described, has over 600,000 reports publicly available. And we all know that, according to so many doctors mm -hmm. who have gone on, to talk about how sometimes trying to put information in the VAR system, regardless of the severity, obviously takes 45 minutes for one, at least <laughs> one. And then if they're so overwhelmed and overridden with COVID patients mm -hmm. and all the other people with broken legs and bloody noses and stuff like that, there's just no time. Mm -hmm. to yeah. What less than 2% or actually probably. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's, well, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's not the most robust or transparent system out there, period. It never <laughs> has so been cool. and never will be. And it's I, only one visible, is it one public system of, of others that there are several more, aren't there? But is it up to six that we don't have access to that came out in some kind of whistleblower thing, didn't it? Yeah. That, that whole thing? Yep. Yep. There, there are several nurses yep, who have yep, come yep, forward yep, yep. to talk about the skewing of the info there and, and, and how sometimes time just doesn't no, permit more it. More skewing of information? Or, or, how, or how doctors it. will tell them just not to put it in. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Doctors are, I, I know that before COVID, because I used to be really, I used to study like vaccine interactions and like, you know, children getting vaccine injured, et cetera, you know, because we have people in the family that are um, injured by vaccines. And they, the reporting has always been shitty and doctors have refused to, to report or um, they'd give a half-ass report. Yeah. I yeah. had the same thing from people in Australia, actually. Yeah. And then now they're, they're, um, they're messing with the reports too. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those things well, need that, to get approved. Because they're getting the pressure put on them, aren't they? To lose licenses or, you know, there's a lot, a lot of threat coming down to the doctors. So I've heard stories about um, even the number of um, medical exemptions that they're allowed, they've they given like a quota that they're allowed to give to their patients for the vaccine. It sounds like it's, a, it's more than they're yeah. allowed in the United States, especially in the federal service, and especially, especially in the military right now, which so far is at about zero. Insane. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Have you heard that same story? Uh, I can't remember if it was us guys that discussed it or not, but uh, some doctors have been told, even by their whatever it is, their, their professional body, um, that they're not allowed to give any more than, like, say, five medical exemptions for the vaccine yeah, to their entire practice. I, I've heard and those reports. Yeah, they're even worried to even give out one for being frowned upon and having their license revoked. It's just completely corrupt and disgusting. Well, this brings us to today, Tuesday. Like I already mentioned, and we played a short clip from Rochelle Linsky, we did have her and Dr. Fauci appear on Capitol Hill today to talk for Senatorial Committee about the Ligma Quran response and lack thereof and now the the additional variants that are coming forward including a magic run. flu rona or whatever the hell you want to call it um so funny how they mock us literally it's just oh <laughs> it's it's in, insane <laughs> i believe I, I believe this was it. round six for Rand paul versus dr fauci uh we'll start yeah. off with a little dr fauci crying because Rand paul makes fun of him on his congressional website and then we'll get into a little back and forth that they had as well why would Senator want to do this? So go to Rand Paul website and you see he brought a fire Dr. Fauci with a little box that says contribute here. You can do $5, $10, $20, $100. So you are making a catastrophic Dollars. epidemic for your political gain. So the you only have thing politically that, the attacked only thing your can, colleagues and in a politically reprehensible the way. Thing that I the rep- think- <laughs> that was guy that's made hundreds and millions of dollars for the big pharma billions. I'm sorry, right. and the highest paid government, government employee, employee ever, ever. highest yep. retired when he retires, yeah, is guilty of crimes against humanity from keeping yes. therapeutics from people. This guy's talking mm-hmm. about a fucking AIDS. a fucking thing on. He made fun of me. Cry as a river, Fauci, hun. Seriously. Political. It says, says, fire Dr. Fauci, click here. It's the same same as having a website that says fire 
Science. <laughs> there's a picture yeah. of my face. There's a with, picture of science on this website. Science. The box is fire. He needs it a says safe fire me. <laughs> Maybe he's got a safe a safe room with his padded with all his dollars. Well, he does. He does do podcasts in his living room where there's a huge, like, entire wall sized picture of his head right next to the camera. Ew. And, yeah. and his bobblehead. I would make fun of you if you had one of those in the studio behind you. But Rand Paul did talk well, about Fauci or himself. No, himself. Yeah. He did also talk about, though, in a little bit more serious tense, how he tried to repress any of the experts and regardless of where they came from uh, in the medical field about alternative therapeutics or or anything else. And that's the last clip we're going to play right here from the congressional hearing right now. I really think it's appropriate to use your four hundred and twenty thousand dollar salary to attack mm -hmm. scientists that disagree with you. The, the email you're referring to yes. was an email of Dr. Collins to me. If you look at the email that you responded to and hurried up and said, I can do it, I can do it. We got something in Wired no, magazine. No, no, no. I think in you usual did. fashion, mm -hmm. Senator, you are distorting everything about me. Oh, did you ever object to Dr. <laughs> Collins' characterization of them as friends? Did you write back to Dr. Collins and say, no, they're not friends, they're esteemed scientists, and it would be beneath me I, I did to not do that? You responded to him that you would do it, and you immediately got an article in Wired, you, you, and you sent it back to him. Said, "Hey, look, I've got him. I nailed him in Wired of all scientific publications." That's not publications. what went on. You there, did. you go again. That you was just do the same thing every hearing. That was your response. And so, this wasn't so, this wasn't the only time. So your desire to take you're down people incorrect as usual, Senator. You no. are incorrect. Almost everything. you Well, said. no, you deny. You deny. Right. But the emails <laughs> tell the truth of this. No, this wasn't the only time. No. Your desire to take down those. Those who disagree with you didn't stop with Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. You conspired with Peter Daszak, who mm -hmm. you communicated with privately, Fired. and other members of the scientific community that wrote opinion pieces for Nature. Five of them signed a, a paper for Nature, an opinion piece. Seventeen signed a paper that called it conspiracy mm -hmm. theory. Seventeen again. The idea that the virus yeah, could have originated right. in the lab. Do you think words like conspiracy theory should be in a scientific paper? Yeah. Senator, I never used that word when I was referring to it. You're oh distorting virtually everything. Did you communicate with the five Projection. scientists who wrote the opinion piece in Nature where they were describing, oh, this, there's no way this could have come from, was from not the lab? Me. What did I you did. talk with any of those See, scientists but, privately? It was the one-armed man. Truth. It is, it did is you, talk, how did you, you do talk that? to any of the scientists? I, they, they, I did not ah, have ah, sexual relations with them. <laughs> they, they need to fist fight at some point. Oh my gosh! Can you okay this again? Again, pay per view to end world hunger. Yep. I mean, oh, guys, do you not think this is brilliant though? Because if we think about it in like the long term, he is just setting him up for the future. It's just getting it all out there. Lie, 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 yep. lie, 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 lie. Under like in, in the hearing, and then when it all comes out, God, it's gonna be so sweet. He's just. Letting him hang himself. Well, the, the, the comprehensive retirement package is like the carrot that he has hanging out in front of him just to Walk yeah, just continue. continue. No, not even like just continue to just pile on the bullshit and just stick with the story. All you have to do is just make it over the finish line. Where's the finish line? Well, for fucking life. Yeah, but even even if he gets over that finish line, he'll be like, ah, oh, and then we all know that, you know, crimes do, against humanity, treason will kick in, and that'll be pretty effing sweet. Do you get a retirement package if you're in prison? It, it is website. It says Fire Fauci. Uh, no, I'm, I'm talking about when it all comes out and we do the whole, you know, tribunals and stuff, and they'll just be, they'll be offed. I just like seeing that. Um, no, there'll be no alive person. <laughs> seeing Rand, like, when he would, when Fauci would just go off and get all 
emotional, like a toddler. Mm -hmm. He was just sitting there looking at him like he, he was mm -hmm. purposely triggering him. And then yeah. Fauci would take I love him. And he's he's destroying himself. I love Rand Paul. He's just epic. Yeah, he definitely is. He it. A, and he brings he does the facts. It so well. And, and that's the thing, like Antoinette's saying, like he's just triggering him. He's like, all right, okay, you could say whatever you want, but we have the emails. The emails literally yeah. say it. You, you wrote to these yeah. magazines, you conspired with these other scientists, you crushed these other ones. And then yeah. whenever you didn't agree with something and started to get away from you, you, you emailed all your friends and said, let's go on the shows and talk about it. <laughs> just like they did with hydroxychloroquine. I mean, yeah. Donald Trump sat him down and literally said, don't fucking go to the news and say this is not a good alternative therapeutic. He mm -hmm. literally walked out of that meeting and called MSNBC, CNN. He was on both shows over the weekend. <laughs> and after that, it was done. We could never use it in the United States unless you found it from some friggin', you know, mm -hmm. street alley dealer where we all get it from. Well, and they, they've <laughs> now classified it in those some of those emails that were leaked as a, uh, what was it, uh, curative, right? Right. Curative. Oh, yeah, no, the ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine are both curative yep. and it's mm -hmm. explicitly states that the vaccines do not work. Mm -hmm. It's it's insane. That's awkward. They've, they've, they've allowed ivermectin now in, in the UK as um uh, as an alternative treatment. Prophylactic. Wow. I like it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Actually hydroxychloroquine I think um prohibits, but ivermectin is the one that does both. Yeah, you can treat in all stages of the. Yeah, they say hydroxychloroquine and they use it as a prophylactic, don't they? They always use that word mm -hmm. as a yeah, sort of the preventative thing. Well, I'm taking both right now and feeling great. You got, you got <laughs> both. Mm. Nice. I got I got a Z pack too. Oh, nice. Yep. Anyways, uh, as we're getting ready right now, I'm to, back on the Nyquil to bring in congressional candidates from New York 14 <laughs> and Arizona 4, Desi Quaylar and Kelly Cooper. We're going to segue here and uh, talk to them in a bit. All right. Joining us first today, he's a Queens native and a Cuban-American who's running for Congress and representing the American people from the Queens and the Bronx, New York 14s. Desi Quaylar, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's oh, a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. The pleasure's all ours. How's it going, sir? How are you? Good. It's good. Uh, you know, new year. New, uh, new hurdles, but you know, we're moving, moving strong. So everything's going well. Um, you know, no complaints from me. What about you guys? Same on this end. You know, uh, we're just getting over the Rona part two and, uh, new year, new me. Yeah. Feeling a little bit better. <laughs> new year, new antibodies. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm going to steal that one. That was good. One, right. one of the, uh, one of my friends in one of the group chats was like, Oh no, I guess I'm triple vaccinated now since I've got COVID twice and the shot. Now oh, there you go. Oh Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> well, Desi, we've been tracking you for a while, but we'd like to introduce you to our listening audience. So before we get into like the campaign related stuff, why don't you give us a little background on yourself and uh, what's going on down there in the, uh, the Queens and the Bronx. Yeah. So, uh, my family originally, uh, came from Cuba. They had to obviously flee a uh, dictatorship. And uh, they made their way over here. And um, I was born in Queens, uh, Flushing, and, you know, just grew up basically everywhere. My mother was always going around trying to find the best type of employment, um, which was very, very difficult in New York. And, and, you know, the cost of living here hasn't ever gotten any better. Yes, yeah. So we've moved around a lot. Um, I went to like four different high schools. I went to high school in Hong Kong at one point, which is Tremendous. Uh, it was one of the best experiences for me in my life. Nice. And um, yeah, 2015, I, I enlisted in the National Guard in New York, um, still serving. Uh, I did three years active duty with the state and pretty much 
it, it was a strange coincidence. As soon as I started the active duty, uh, AOC had gotten elected. And initially I was very excited because I was like, man, like a younger person, new ideas. Um, and I'm not at the time, uh, you know, politics wasn't as polarizing as it is right now. So I was thinking like, okay, she's a Democrat, but you know, she's from the neighborhood. So I thought, how bad could it be? And, you know, and, and I was thinking maybe she's going to, you know, do something good for, for the country. And it just, it was like mistake after mistake after mistake. And initially I had no interest at the time in, in running for, for office because I was very, very happy with my, with my job mm-hmm. on active duty. And it was just very fulfilling. Um, it was still my favorite job, but things started getting worse. And I decided to throw my hat in because it was just getting to a point where things are now out of control. We're at the precipice of a great calamity, you could say. And um, I decided to do it. Military told me you got to pick one or the other, which is very strange to me because you have Tulsi Gabbard, you have multiple people who have ran. They're still serving. No issue. Mm -hmm. With me, it was uh, an issue of basically you have to either pick the job or you pick running for office. So I was like, okay, it was, it's nothing personal. It, it felt like, um, but you know, I ultimately made a decision to, to leave that and just pursue the campaign full time because I have confidence that uh, we'll be able to get it done. And here we are. Yeah, you've grown extremely popular out there. I've seen from, from tracking you on social media, you've done a heck of a job to get your name out there and, and really make things that, you know, are important to the people who actually live in that district and not the theatrical performance that's going on, usually mm-hmm. down in D.C., up in the Beltway and stuff like that, you know, which is the uh, the case usually with AOC. It, it's it's funny that you bring her up, you know, for those listening or who might have missed it when, when Desi first mentioned it, he's going to be challenging her for her seat in, in the House of Representatives. So, you know, this is not a uh, small potatoes race. This is something that's going, you know, uh, Desi's up against the, the entire establishment progressive left and, the you know, the full force of the squad. And, and he's really, you know, up to the challenge right now uh, based off of uh, strong family background. He's got also a military background and, uh, you know, deep rooted in his community out there doing the right things. So let's start talking about the campaign. You know, s- since you've announced and you've, and you've really gotten out there, I've seen dramatic change, huge increase in your following as well. Uh, you know, I, I would think one of the biggest draws to you would be, someone who's actually going to work for the people in their district instead of, you know, going to Washington, D.C. and and doing all the stunts that AOC is usually performing there. What's the reception been like getting, you know, out into the neighborhoods that you grew up in and talking to the people who live there and what's important to them? Yeah, excitement is the biggest thing. Um, and, and strangely enough, gratitude, which mm-hmm. is weird for me, but everybody's very just excited and I hear a lot of thank yous and I hear a lot of... Uh, get her out basically. And like to, to put it the nicest way possible, there was like, get her out, get her the hell out. I have people saying, you know, I wish I could move into the district where from like, you know, Brooklyn, um, Long Island, Manhattan, everybody's just, everybody is unified basically and just wanting her to be out, which is kind of mentally, it's like the best case scenario mm-hmm. um, because you, you don't really know what to expect when you start running. But for me, I was, I was very shocked by that, which is, it's just been great. So that's a good thing. Sounds like a lot of people want to close their tab right now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Sandy. <laughs> well, what are some of the things before we get into like national politics that, that are really going to affect, you know, New York 14 that the people really want to see happen for their district when you uh, get over the finish line here in the midterm election? 
The biggest things that are important to people in the district, I think, I, I think we're, we're in the past, um, states have been a little bit polarized in what's important to them. But right now, I think we're at a point because we're, we're at the rock bottom, basically, to where everybody essentially has the same needs because even the most basic needs are being met. So jobs is one of the most important things. Um, education and safety. Those, those are the three most important things because everybody wants to be able to provide for their family. If they have kids, send their kids to a good school. Yeah. And you know, essentially not worry about when their kids are going to school or coming back or when they're going to work or coming back. Those are the most important things to them. So, you know, that's, that's not a difficult thing to do because as a politician, you should just be able to keep those things in mind and then, you know, from there expand. So it's, 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 it's a very complicated issue, but with very simple solutions. Yeah, I definitely think so. And then, you know, Again, before we get into the national part of it, you know, living in New York City, we've just kind of had a changing of the guard of the mayor. There's been a little bit of uh, where, where a lot of people were, were seeming hopeful uh, that the new mayor was going to probably bring some positive change. We've seen some interesting things. You know, you've had that Manhattan DA come out and make some really weird comments about, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah, the crime stuff going on in the last yeah. week or so. And then with the hiring of... Uh, the mayor's brother to help combat white rage in New York city. It just really doesn't match up with what the actual issues are there. Why don't you touch on both of those real quick? Maybe if not the mayor's brother specifically, maybe just the mayor and then the, the stuff going on with the DA and how you feel about that. Yeah. I mean, the mayor, he painted himself as a moderate because that was the the smartest way to go about it. When you're going against somebody like Sliwa, because Slee was just such yeah. a diehard um, kind of classical New Yorker. Like, you know, yeah. in another time he, he might've been, Democrat, you know, but right now he ran as a Republican because obviously it's, it's become more polarizing. And I think Adam just had a smart strategy of, of, of presenting himself as a moderate when in reality, he's, he's the same. Um, and I'm just not surprised that New Yorkers got fooled again, but when it comes to the DA, that that's, again, it's just more of the same when you have, you, you look at the list of people who are getting elected especially from the Democrats. And the, the issue before was, you know, all oh, these people are socialists or, you know, this is democratic socialist, like AOC called herself. The DA, I wouldn't even say the socialist. I would just call him an anarchist because there's no way that you can go from, you know, the, 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 the mistake of what city council did when they said, okay, we're going to, we're going to do bail reform. Whenever Democrats talk about, you know, reforming something, it's basically code word for, for destroying it. But city council, um, had passed bail reform, which essentially got rid of bail for um, robbery, burglary, stalking, arson, and assault without serious injury. Hmm. And serious injury, that's a very vague term that's because there was a area. gentleman who, yeah, it's, it, there was a gentleman who had donated, I, I, or he, you know, he had a couple bucks. He got asked, hey, do you have any money? Um, he gave like a couple dollars and the guy attacked him with a hammer. Hit him in the head with a hammer. Guy went went to the hospital. Um, serious injuries. He was in the hospital for I don't know how much time. And the guy, they let him out because that's not serious injury. So I don't know if you have to be in a coma or on life support, um, but that's what it was last year. Now the new DA is saying essentially anything except for murder. So we're, we're seeing, we're entering a very, very dark time in New York if something doesn't change quickly because um, we, the, the guy's an anarchist. And I, I, I cannot, it blows my mind that anyone would get behind him and that anybody would just support him on a campaign level for, for having an idea like that. But 
Um, New York needs a lot of work. Yeah, these these George Soros back judges and well, it sounds like people, people that are, do crime for a living are pretty happy with this guy. I'm sure the influx of uh, well, if you want to talk about <laughs> maybe the worst way to create jobs, there it is. Because I'm sure you're going to have a lot of those people who uh, you know like to offend heading over to New York City because they know they're going to get safe haven from the. Uh, you know, district attorney over there down in Manhattan. So pretty interesting to hear. All right, Desi, let's let's switch gears over to national politics. Now, in addition to the things that we've talked about that would directly affect New York 14, there are the things that you have to handle nationally when you get to, you know, uh, D.C. And, and, and you're in the House of Representatives. There's a lot of great America First candidates. We've had a ton of them on our show already this year, now you included. Um, you know, everybody who comes from different parts of the country, whether it be from Joe Kent up in Washington, Anthony Sabatini down in Florida, you got Mike Collins in Georgia, uh, Joe Gibbs in, in in Michigan. You got all these guys running. It seems like a lot of the things that that they're really passionate about, especially ones that have military background or in law enforcement, the things are the same. National security, which include national defense and the borders. Uh, you have the uh, weaponization of the DOJ and the FBI in regards to like the parents and and maybe all the way up through January sixth. You have the crisis that we have, human trafficking, sex trafficking, and drugs down on the border. Uh, what are some of the things that are important to you, and what are some of the things you want to jump into and start to work on to fix once you get over to DC? And the, the most important things to me are the family, the family unit. Um, we have really nothing protecting not only family but children. Um, I think Trump was the first one to come in that actually started doing something you saw under him. What was it? The, the most um, arrests of um, child traffickers and the most like, you know, stopping of child trafficking than any president. I think the last like two presidents combined yeah. within the first just like couple of years. Um, and that's that was something that really affected me on a personal level to where I was just like blown away because I was like, man, this guy is he's covering everything. And that's the contrast that you see between a lifelong politician that gets in or somebody who doesn't care and somebody who's actually going to work. You know, it's, it, Trump appeared like a miracle worker and, and he essentially in a lot of ways he was. But what he did was work hard. And um, I think that, you know, the focus on these American first candidates is going to be just getting in there, working and getting it done. Um, but to me, I, I definitely want to build upon that whole protecting the children um, because there's a lot of ways that you can go about protecting them, not only from, you know, the aspect of when they're coming in, but also when they're here, because I don't, I don't think that enough is done to protect our children, especially when you look at the left and how essentially they're doing their best at the moment to normalize pedophilia. So yes. they're doing their best to normalize pedophilia to, you know, not go after, you know, teachers who are, who are, who are sexualizing education for uh, prepubescent uh, children. Um, there's not enough being done there. And I think that there's a lot of room to aggressively um, slow that down. So that's one of the most important things for me. Other than that, um, you know, our veterans, they, they never get treated the right way. Um, once they get out, it's, and it's, it's almost like a, a mute talking point at this point because everyone says the same thing, but nobody does anything about it. But there's absolutely better ways of treating our veterans, not only in the, in, in the active duty, but also in the National Guard that would incentivize more people to join. But for that to happen, our military also needs to do their part to essentially stop letting the left propagandize what the military is. The military is not a social program. It is a fighting force. And mm -hmm. I think that if we can't get back to focusing on that, building everything on top of it is not going to do anything to help it. Um, you know, in terms of finance, taxes, everything needs to be changed. Crypto, that needs to be changed. Um, you know, it, there's too many issues going on right now because we have the same people in office that have been around since 
before the internet existed. Right. That's the problem. So we have people that have been in offices before the, the Berlin wall fell. So these people are not mentally capable of handling the modern struggles when they're not uh, modern mentally. Um, some of these people can't even write their own emails and they're passing legislation. So we need to focus on that. We need to also get, you know, um, term limits. We need to have, I, I think in terms of term limits, if you look at the FBI, which I think the FBI should be reformed. Um, if we look at the FBI, how they have a mandatory retirement age, it's 55. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can look on the website, it's 55. They even give a reason. The reason why it's 55 is to avoid the mental decline that tends to happen on average for people who hit that age bracket. So I think that not only for, for, for term limits should Congress and the Senate have it, because if it's good enough for the president, why isn't it not good enough for Congress or the Senate? Mm -hmm. We also need to have, I think, age limits because we shouldn't have 70 and 80 year olds running around trying to pass legislation when they don't even know what's going on. Um, you know, those are just some of the things, but it's, we could talk all day on, uh, you know, the issues that need to be addressed. Yeah, and I, I completely get you and agree with you. You know, there are some older, you know, you have the Ron Johnsons, you have the Chuck Grassleys who still kind of toe the party lines and stuff like that. But at some point, you would like to see maybe some of these younger, more able-bodied and, and, and able to travel and, and, and kind of get out there, maybe if they need to, like, go visit internationally or down to the southern border more often than not. At some point, there has to be a, a passing of the baton and then bringing in a new class just to make sure that not only the message stays fresh, but it also stays consistent. You know, one of the things we, we tend to see all the time happen in D.C., especially when people, you know, they start to show, like, rhino-like qualities is that they've been there for so long and the same people are in their ear. Like, people that went in there on hardline conservativeship were like America first values, you see them start to change to more like middle of the road and middle of the road usually leads to like progressive decline. And, and, and we've seen that a lot. And I do like what you said about the military. They definitely are not taken care of, especially in regards to, you know, you talk about it just in contrast with this administration since the beginning, we've seen people from all over the world who have no status in the United States treated 10 times better than an overwhelming majority of our servicemen and women, including probably all of our veterans. And, uh, you know, we've seen so much bad news out of the Biden administration. I saw the Secretary of the Navy announce this week that boot camp will now be extended two weeks for, for woke politics, which include implementation of critical race theory and all of that, you know, gender pronoun training and stuff like that. In addition to, it was announced yesterday that Joe Biden fired and demoted a U.S. Navy commander. His name is Robert Green Jr. in a retaliatory move after he filed a complaint against the federal government and the Department of Defense for basically the military across the board denied uh, requests for religious exemptions in the COVID-19 vaccinations, just stuff that is unprecedented and unheard of coming from the government and then basically eating ourselves and, and making our, our fighting forces at home and abroad weaker across the board. Well, it just sets a really bad precedent, like you're not allowed to challenge, you're not allowed to go through the channels that you have as a right as an American citizen, as a service member. Yeah. It's just, it's just really a shame. Go ahead. Yeah. The, the big idea um, in the military is once you enlist that you are giving up certain rights, um, which never made sense to me because when you take the oath, I don't think that that oath is relinquished once you leave. I think that that is something that stays with you and that you should honor it for the rest of your life. Yeah. And with that being said, we, the rights that we have aren't given to us by the government. Mm -hmm. So we can't, we, we aren't, we don't even give them to ourselves. Right. So we're nobody to be able to give that up. The, and the other thing is, I, I don't know how you could give up something to protect it. You know what I mean? Like, for example, like if, if I'm going to just for the most basic 
concept. We protect, you know, all of our amendment rights. Um, sometimes we have to go to war. Sometimes we have to face combat, but we don't not use guns, which are the, the most basic. It's a requirement in the military. Right. So for the average citizen, it's not a requirement, but it, it, you know, you have, you have the right to use it. So I, don't, I never understood the concept of giving that up or giving up the, the right to free speech to protect it. Um, now I understand, you know, conducting yourself in a proper, you know, way and, and, you know, having your military bearing and not speaking out of order, you know, following orders when you're in the uniform, but in the sense of just giving everything up to be able to protect it, people are so used to giving up their rights that they don't know how to protect it. So yeah. we have an issue where now the military and, and, and the government is doing one thing. Well, the government, not the military, the, the government is, is basically telling the military to do one thing. And nobody knows what to do because nobody even knows what, what their rights are. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a shame. Yeah, it certainly is. And, and something that we hope, you know, starts to, to better itself, even though it doesn't look like, at least in the meantime, it's not going to be happening anytime soon. We always pray for our servicemen and women. We're extremely thankful and indebted to all their service and the things they do to protect our constitutional rights and the sovereignty of our country. Desi, last thing I want to touch base with you on, probably the most important topic of the last two years is the whole COVID narrative. I don't know if you had had a chance to see any time today, we had like round five of Rand Paul versus Dr. Fauci up on Capitol Hill, where they're just yes. arguing, bickering back and forth. and Best MMA match of all time that's the best match definitely is and we for surely retweeted that tweet already um <laughs> you, you know it, it's one of those things especially in new york we, we, you're probably talking about one of the most dystopian lockdown places on the planet your challenger in the midterm election aoc took a vacation to florida last week surprisingly enough came back with uh, some variant of covid and, and is now sheltering in place so she doesn't have to answer questions about her maskless transgender party time, whatever she was doing down there, her boyfriend's feet, every meme that was made, um, you know, over she the bl- course- Is she blaming Florida for giving her COVID? Probably. Yeah. So eventually she will. But it seems like that's that's also one of the things that that's typical of the Joe Biden administration and everybody that's connected with the progressive left. They uh, implement the rules in the most dystopian way possible. Then they go and circumvent them and do whatever they want themselves. Once they get caught, they blame everybody else except, you know, don't take responsibility for anything. What's your whole feeling on the COVID narrative, both on New York and then overall in the country right now? There's a lot of different places handling it differently. Noah and I are in San Diego. We're kind of like middle of the pack. Even though we're out here and Gavin Newsom's our governor, San Diego is an extremely red county. It's one of the largest counties in the country. You know, it's big military law enforcement presence, and we don't really see there's not really any lockdowns and stuff like that here, but in other parts of California, Los Angeles, uh, up in uh, San Francisco, you know, Sacramento, places like that. It's like, go, well, you know, you, you drive a couple hours north and it's like driving to a different country here. So what's your take on the narrative in New York City and then some of the things you're seeing at the federal level right now with the narrative collapsing uh, on how the uh, treatment and response has been? It's a, it's a very interesting way that the military, not the military, the, the government is, is handling everything. Um, and I think that if you just look at the way that other countries are handling it from, you know, the countries that are most strict to the least strict, um, I mean, you have Israel right now, who is, I think they might be the most vaccinated Mm -hmm. country in the world. Um, and they have, I don't know, a hundred thousand or more new outbreaks. So, I mean, there's issues with that. There's issues with, you know, the testing threshold of the uh, PCR testing and how they can just basically manipulate the thresholds to um, inflate or, you know, deflate the number of COVID tests 
that are you're coming up positive. Um, I mean, you could you could go outside, touch something dirty, and then essentially test positive for COVID if the threshold is wide enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there is some odd coincidences when you know the CDC basically just comes out one you know I think it was November, and they said that um, Omicron or no, they were saying that that children should now get uh, vaccinated. Right. And then I think within two or three weeks, all of a sudden Omicron comes on and targets children. I think that the issue, again, is also, um, you know, their reporting of cases instead of deaths. So right now, because they're, they're conflating with the public cases with deaths. So people are thinking like, oh, my God, there's been 100 new outbreaks. Uh, you know, what if what if only one died or two? Um, you know, people forget that influenza you know, brought in, I think 200 to 400,000 deaths a year prior to COVID. Yeah. So we need to understand and look at this, you know, pragmatically and, and realize that there's always going to be illnesses. There's always going to be sicknesses. And, and unfortunately people are going to die. Um, and we need to do everything that we can to keep ourselves safe, but we cannot sacrifice our freedoms for safety, especially when um, we don't even have all the understanding of, of what the COVID-19 virus is. We don't we don't have any information on what's in the vaccines. Um, and there's just too many odd things that we have politicians pushing draconian legislation to completely lock everything down when it's at this point, basically. You, you, I mean, you could say that it's proof that it's not working because the states with the most severe uh, restrictions are the ones with the worst cases. It's almost like did the gun control argument, right? The states with the strictest gun control laws are the ones with the worst gun crimes. So we need to look at this and say, Hey, what are we doing as a population to stay healthy? What are we doing as a population to be as healthy as possible? Not let's just, you know, nerf the world and keep everybody in their houses um, until, you know, the boogeyman goes away. Um, It's just, we're not, I I question the integrity of the decision-making by our uh, lawmakers when it comes to how they're handling this, this crisis, because the real crisis at this point is, is the lawmakers and the legislation, not COVID because there's other places in the world where COVID has been completely handled um, and everything's back to normal, but here where everything's just spiraling out of control. And it's just like, we just keep bearing down on, you know, what to do. And it, it keeps getting worse and nobody cares essentially. So it just, it's, it blows my mind. Yeah. They should be embracing the fact that this is spreading rapidly and it's not deadly. It's very mild. They should yeah, be absolutely. Like, this is I actually mean, a good of, thing. Of, yeah. But there's going to be, you know, there's going to be people that, that, that die and, it, and it's horrible because, you know, it could be any one of us. It could be any of our loved ones. Um, I personally know a bunch of people who have passed away in the past couple of years, um, you know, for different reasons, but it's, it's never a good thing. And it doesn't help either when the media is constantly throwing COVID in your face and, you know, you may have a loved one that has died from COVID. But it doesn't mean that we should just, you know, lose our, our bearing and just, you know, just let them do whatever they want to do. We have to we have to take control with be, you know, in control of our lives and our health. Yep. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge, you know, legacy media narrative that's crumbling right now. Uh, in, in, in part of our show already, we've played clips from both CNN and MSNBC over the weekend where, you know, they were talking about on their Sunday shows how th- this is a, something that's it's, it's time to move on, not ignore 
still take precautions in some cases, but people need to start living their lives. And, and I think one of the biggest things they're trying to spin this on as they back away from COVID to try and, you know, uh, remind everybody how awesome all the progressive left is heading into the midterm elections is the kids are being effective in a way that we're not going to be able to tell for maybe decades on, on, on the negative effects of this, both educationally, yeah. emotionally, developmentally, and, and a lot of people that that are in that sounds in, familiar right in the right that have been silenced have been talking about it since day one and now when you see the legacy media especially some of those progressive channels like cnn and nbc start talking about it on a more consistent basis you know it's one of the issues that uh they know is really out there and there's a lot of concern from the parent and it's going to affect a lot of the candidates at the voting box uh come november so yeah. desi this has been awesome getting to know you today. We're obviously going to, of course, invite you back at some point during uh, the time between now and the midterm elections to kind of get an update and talk about some of the hot topics affecting the country and uh, your district before November. Uh, we want to be able to direct all our listenership who's very both interactive and helpful. They'll go knock on doors, share social media, campaign donations, you name it, and uh, you know, direct traffic over there, there to you. So why don't you say uh, your campaign website, social media is anywhere where we could find you and direct traffic to Absolutely. If you would like to donate, um, you can go to djcforny.com. So djcforny.com. Um, the campaign website itself is desiquayar.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter as well, uh, Desi J. Cuellar. Cuellar is just like, it's, it's a crazy last name to be able to spell, unfortunately. <laughs> That's why I'm like djcforny.com. That's the easiest way. Um, if you can't donate, you can just go right there from the web uh, to the website from there. And um yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on uh, Instagram. Uh, I have Facebook as well, but it's it's underway. The The biggest thing right now is, is Twitter, and you can find me everywhere from there. Yeah, that, that, but, that, um, that following has really gotten large over the last uh, couple of months as, as you're heating up and uh, really putting, you know, your primary challenger, who's AOC's feet to the fire as, as a legitimate candidate who's coming – looking to represent New York 14. One thing I want to tell you before we cut, Andrew McCarthy's out there, and he's running in uh, one of the districts out in New York. He's been in our show, and he's scheduled to come back. You guys need to link up. You guys both have a lot of the similar backgrounds, and uh, both are pretty based on Twitter. I think you guys would make a formidable force, and it's one of the things that we've talked about with some of the you know, larger America First candidates. Link it up and getting on the same page. Maybe you and, and Andrew could jump on Twitter and do like one of those live spaces, get a whole bunch of people in there, talk about the issues that are important to New York. It really starts to scare the Dems when you guys start working together. They don't think you guys would ever run to each other in real life. And next thing you know, you guys are, are, are sharing spaces and, and getting all your constituents out there and working on the same page. Yeah, I agree. That's that's definitely that's a phenomenal idea. I've reached out to him. Uh, we, we had a, a couple of words over uh, Twitter. Um, I think he's a, he's a great guy. Like you said, I, I think that he is definitely uh, going places yeah, in you guys, politics. And, you know, I think it could be, that's a great idea. Yeah, you guys are definitely looking to help turn New York around. This is running in New York 14. Desi Quaylar, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you very much. All right, joining us next today and looking to represent Arizona 4 in the upcoming midterm elections. He's an America First candidate and joining us for the first time, Mr. Kelly Cooper. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. How and, are you doing today? And if I, if I could throw in one piece, I would say that I am a uh, Christian constitutional conservative along with American First, America First. Perfect. We got it for the outro as well now. Nice. <laughs> How's it going with you? It's really good. It's really good. Took the kids, the kids to school this morning, got to walk them in and uh, come out here and uh, start getting ready to talk to the people of Arizona's four and get ourselves ready to make America first again. 
Yeah, that sounds great. Now, you've already mentioned your kids, so that's going to be my lead-in to the first question here. We ask all our, okay. all, all our America First candidates uh, getting started as our listenership's just getting ready to hear you for the first time. What compelled you to get in this you know, midterm election? It's, it's, a, it's a really difficult time for our country right now. There's a lot of growing pains probably in the wrong direction. There's so much stuff going on, whether you want to talk about the economy or COVID, national defense, the border, uh, you know, and, and we see these people just come in essentially out of nowhere, you know, and, and saying, I've had enough for, for these reasons here. Let's let our listenership hear what your reasons were for getting in this race. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, when I was growing up, uh, I grew up to a single mom and, you know, the American dream was something that we always chased. It was something we always believed was available to us. And we put in all the hard work and I would consider myself an example of that. Uh, I did serve four years in the Marines. I was infantry, so I've been all over the world. Mm. Uh, so when we want to talk about the border, I can I can speak to you about that with some some education. Uh, but when it boiled down, um, deciding to run came down to can I look my kids in the eyes ten years from now and say I saw all of this coming and I did nothing about it. You know, the rest of me is uh, I'm a business owner, so entrepreneurship is in my blood. Uh, I own. I have owned five restaurants here in Arizona. I have three currently active, two of which are in this district, um, both uh, melting pots in Arizona and a small concept that we launched on our own right in time for COVID was BKD's Backyard Joint. And, you know, you see that growing government control and the, the growing push to make it not, I don't think it's intentional, but this growing push through policy to make it harder and harder to operate as a business owner and I said, I worked for all of this. I fought for all of this. And I, I, I don't know how I would sit at home and tell my kids that I didn't do something to change what's going on today. And so that's how I got here. Uh, there's nobody else in this race or many races that has uh, the broad reach of background that can speak intelligently on most of the topics that are affecting us today. And so... While it was never a goal of mine, I've always wanted to continue growing my restaurants and, and building that foundation for my family. I mean, how do you keep doing what you know is going to be taken away over time? How do you keep doing what's being eroded and not do something about the erosion? Yeah, that's definitely something that uh, you could definitely talk about for firsthand experience being a small business owner in the district growing up you know, there and, and working hard for everything you had in addition to serving the country in the military, it's, you know, once a Marine, always Marine. Thank you for your service, sir. We appreciate that. Um, thank you. Yeah. We've had on quite a few candidates from, from Arizona so far. We've had on uh, Josh Barnett with us. He, he's a really mm -hmm. strong candidate running in Arizona six. We've also had the future governor of, of Arizona, Miss Carrie Lake has joined us and, and she's scheduled to come back at some time in February. We can't wait to have her. She's going to be speaking. She's awesome. Yeah. This weekend at, at, at the Trump rally, that's happening out yep, there. on the 15th. Yeah, on the 15th. Lawrence. So that's going to be amazing as well. It was awesome to hear both of them and their hearts and uh, the things that are, uh, you know, really important to them. I think one of the things we need to touch on next, you talk about Arizona, it's a border state. Uh, we have a border crisis with, you know, immigration out of control, people coming in from every part of the world, unvetted, unscreened, untested, and just allowed into anywhere they want in the United States. We've got, you know, human trafficking, drug trafficking, sex trafficking, you name it, it's going on down on the southern border right there. Regardless of what part of Arizona you're in, it all, it all affects your state. So let's talk about some, some of the things, uh, you know, going on down there and, and what it means to you and your district. Uh, well, I mean, I think it, there's, it's broad. I mean, it gets into the economy, but yeah, 
the 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 shorter version i think a lot of the immigrants that are coming across the border are truly looking for a better life and so let's start the conversation by not demonizing those folks although they're handling it in a, in an illegal manner i think that they're being uh, pushed for that i think our policies in social safety nets can affect that but when you have that level of immigration coming across the border you're talking about the healthcare systems being affected education systems being affected the ability for border security to apprehend the people that are coming across the border that are dangerous is being overwhelmed yeah. and made neutral. Yeah. So we can we can have that conversation about uh, drugs and fentanyl being the number one killer of 18 to 45 year old folks in our country now. Uh, but the, the piece that I want us to talk about a little bit uh, really is. How we handled Afghanistan the after effects of the relationships of the people that we had in Afghanistan, the people that potentially are created to hate us over there and then their ability to affect us back home and how the insecurity at our southern border really opens that up. Mm -hmm. You have 400,000 people that didn't get caught. They were seen, they're, they're counted, they're estimated to be in the 400,000 people. Where did they come from? We have 60, 70 different countries. So imagine a world where we created an environment all those years ago for Osama bin Laden, where we used them in a proxy war and then abandoned them. And now we're doing the same thing over again. Yeah, it's so what happens when some of these people that are really disaffected by how we handled and treated them and they make it their mission in life to get revenge on America? How do we expect our border security to protect us when they're spending all of their time catching people that we've enticed to come across the border illegally when we actually have ports of entry mm -hmm. and we actually have an immigration system that if we held too true to the, the law and order um, aspect of our world, the things that those people are coming here to be protected by, I mean, how, how do you expect anything different? Yeah, it's a, it's a so, lot of people. People don't take that into account, um, you know, before you jump back into it. And I, and I really don't think they understand. Sometimes, you know, they hear getaways. They see these numbers on TV anywhere between one point eight and two point one plus million people have already crossed this year. And, and I'm glad you brought it up. You know, fentanyl is a huge conversation that we need to have uh, people from terrorists and countries of interest that are coming into this country sneaking across the southern border a lot of the times they'll they'll impersonate latin americans central americans south americans they'll just they'll just sneak right in and and there, there's no way to tell they're in the wind uh coming from really bad countries and in places where people have really bad intents for for just average citizens in the united states and then you want to talk about mm -hmm. the, the human uh sex trafficking and stuff like that. Those are all like the really critical talking points that we need to have a discussion on. But if we don't let people know that the people that are out there to, to combat these things are literally babysitting millions mm -hmm. of people right now and completely overwhelmed, not just by the amount of bodies, but the things they're bringing over diseases like tuberculosis and COVID and all these other sicknesses from chicken pox, you know, stuff from third world countries that not only have killed a lot of border agents and people that work at the port of entries over the course of the last two years, but, but ones that make them sick and just make the workload that much more, you know, of a burden to, to the federal government, to the people they're trying to protect. hundred percent. And think about <clears throat> Think about all the people that are coming over and how that affects our already strained healthcare system mm -hmm. 
when, when we created these mandates that you have to go get a COVID shot and people stood on their principles and said, either I'm going to retire or I'm not going to get that shot. So then we cut our workforce in half and then we overwhelm it with people coming across the border that they don't have the same medical background and medical history that we do with some of the vaccines and the healthcare precautions that have been handled here in, in the States for you know, decades. How do, how do we expect our medical system to be able to hold up to that? Yeah, it almost seems like an impossibility when you look at it just based off of numbers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we all know that a lot of these hospitals have uh, skewed their ICU and COVID bed spaces to be as minimal as possible to make it seem like it's over overwhelmed. But at the same time, there are parts of the country, definitely all along the southern border, where like just the bodies to, to beds period ratio is completely overwhelmed and out of control. And that's just because of a massive influx more than anything. Yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine being a hospital that has to do the things that on a regular day basis a hospital has to do and then have a busload of people, you know, 150 people, men, women, children, the elderly just dropped off in, in the emergency parking lot and say, we all want this, that, or the other thing. It, it completely overwhelms the system. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the biggest things uh, that's affecting the whole country that I definitely want to touch with you on, we touch on it with all our candidates, it's it's all encompassed everything for the last two plus years now, and it's the whole COVID narrative. We've got Rochelle Walensky and uh, Dr. Fauci up crying on Capitol Hill today, getting blasted by the likes of, of Rand Paul uh, yet again, um, <laughs> and exposed through a whole bunch of emails that we've seen through Project Veritas over the last 48 hours, which show, you know... Yep. Just just to paint a broad brush for our listening audience, there was some projects that were tossed out there in regards to this gain of function involving coronaviruses and genetically engineering them. Uh, it, it seemed to be so risky that both uh, DARPA and the Department of Defense both said, eh, probably not something we want to, you know, stick our hands into. Well, Dr. Fauci, the NIH, and the NIIAD both jumped on it and ran with it, and here we go, pandemic year two plus now. It's definitely affecting people all over the country. Probably not as much in Arizona. I'm sure there's some some hot spots of uh, what what does Donald Trump call them like um, serial maskers and stuff like that, <laughs> you know. But but it has affected overall a lot of small businesses and over the course of the last two years, and, and is definitely something that they're trying to, you know, figure out what they're going to do with now as we head into the midterm election season. What's your whole take on this this overall COVID narrative, and then you know moving forward, how you would best represent the people in Arizona for when you go to Washington and, and want to you know help the United States kind of live with COVID instead of live by COVID? Well, I would suggest that uh, we have the mitigating tools to um, protect people. And so if your decision is that you want to take a vaccine uh, to help reduce the effect, then take the vaccine. And if you want to wear a mask, I mean, that, to me, that's your choice. It's not something that I do. Uh, I don't require it of my staff, either thing. Uh, and I, I, it really, to me, it comes down to personal choice. Uh, we have, over the last two years, two and a half years, developed the tools that it takes to provide some protection from COVID. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what we have to do is get back to focusing on the people that are vulnerable and giving them the resources to protect themselves and allow the rest of our society to really get back to work. What I've seen is that we're using COVID as a fear narrative. And what it's done is, is it's, dry, it's driven a significant wedge into our economy. Uh, you either scare people out of going to work or you mandate them out of going to work. And then you wonder why productivity is down. Participation rates are down. Unemployment is down. 
and inflation is up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to get away from all of that. So from my perspective, I would really get back to uh, trying to have a steady stream of real information released so that general society can make the best decisions for themselves, encourage them to make what they believe is the best decisions for themselves and let everybody get on about their lives. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, one hundred percent. And if coming as a small business owner, you know, I don't like to to pose the. It, it sounds like it's me talking down, but it's actually like the reality of it. You know, you say you don't mandate those things as a small business owner to your staff and to the people that come into your restaurant, which I think is awesome. It's, if somebody wants to walk in and they, they feel from like walking in the door to their table and from when they walk to their table to the bathroom, they're going to be more protected against COVID if they put a mask on. That's their choice, but it, it's not at the end of the day a Starbucks barista, a cash register attendant at like, you know, uh, a grocery store or, or someone who takes 20 bucks, fill it up on five at the gas station to determine on whether or not you should protect yourself from something that we still don't have our heads wrapped around yet. You know, the narrative, we're going to see a big change in the amount of COVID deaths now that that stuff's been uncovered. Um, it looks mm-hmm. like, it looks like especially the progressive left, but even, you know, an overwhelming majority of the left is kind of pulling back from the COVID narrative. We saw it in the Sunday after or morning talk shows over the course of this weekend, kind of just saying, Oh, isn't it time to just live with COVID? Oh, isn't it time to just get over it? Isn't it time for, you know, COVID's always going to be here. So let's just, you know, when you, see that stuff you know they're going to try and change the message now for the midterm elections and and unhitch their wagon from shutting down the virus so it's definitely one of those things yeah. that we have to uh you know take as in, into account as something that's always going to be there but something that we definitely need to live with well let me tell you something in in, in that in that talk you just gave there you said something that really struck me the last time i filled up my tank it was 100 bucks not 20 mm, yep. and one of the biggest struggles that, that I have is, you know, shutting down the pipelines and using energy um, policy to try to prop up green energy uh, at the expense of the American worker. You know, we, who, what kind of politician drives down supply in order to rise up prices for the, the people that are blue collar working out there that you know, $20 in your gas tank affects whether you can go buy food, which, by the way, is up, you know, 30, 40, 50 percent. And I can give you yeah. those numbers from my restaurant's perspective Yeah, and think that that's OK. I mean, what kind of callous, uncaring um, approach to policy this is? Yeah, you really have to think right now with, uh, you know, the way the economy is going. I don't really see how they kind of bounce back and, and fix this in time for the midterms, especially when you talk about, you know, you made a really good point. Uh, stemming from my point, which was talking about the energy sector uh, angle of it. And, you know, we're just hitting the winter months right now, end of January, Mm -hmm. all the way up through March, maybe beginning of April is when people are really burning through some of those natural gases and stuff in the Midwest and the the North and the South and where it gets really cold at night, especially out in those desert areas. And, uh, you know, it's one of these things you're seeing natural gas prices up 30, 40, in some places like Illinois, 55%. It's just crazy. You you really can't think that people are going to be able to with how much more fuel for your car and food and everything else costs right now. You're, you're literally choosing between feeding your family or keeping your family warm. Oh, a hundred bucks doesn't even fill up my truck. It stops. Like no. it just like click. Oh, that's a hundred bucks. That's the maximum transaction. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, so I'll give you done. a couple of numbers. Um, I went and did this research. So BKD's backyard joints down at Pecos and McQueen. It's a family friendly sports bar that we opened up at the beginning of COVID. 
And when Governor Ducey shut things down at the beginning of the pandemic, understandably, we didn't quite understand what this virus was. And we were trying to protect the hospitals and, and do some research. And, and as we've moved forward, we sort of understand a little bit more and things have been opened up back out here. Uh, during that time, you know, the chef and I, because we had to lay off all of our employees, mm. chef and I did to go orders for people. And we passed out toilet paper because I remember standing in line at Walmart for an hour trying to get some toilet paper for my house. Yeah. That's crazy. But I went back and I looked at these numbers from March to now. Brisket is up 56%. Burger patties, 34%. Eggs, a dozen eggs was up 62%. Yep. Romaine lettuce, 35%. Red onions, 87%. Yeah. So when, when you take labor and you manipulate it through fear and mandate, right? So we mandated uh, companies over 100 uh, require their employees to get vaccinated. What is, what is the resulting action? A ton of retirements, especially in the trucking industry. So now you're talking about shipping and moving product around the country. You use fear to drive people to stay home. So you're cutting out that supply of the labor. So you're driving up how much it's going to cost for labor. Then you manipulate the energy sector. And those two items alone, energy and labor, touch every aspect of our economy from a seed of corn mm -hmm. all the way through the production of a, of a truck or a car or anything else, or your solar panels that you want to make, you know, green energy out of. And to me, the way we get back to fixing these things is we get back to that policy of energy independence because America does come first. And we get back to encouraging people to go to work, arming them with the information they need to protect themselves, but it's to protect themselves. The people that need protection need that information so they can make the right choices for themselves to protect themselves. And when we do that, you'll start seeing some of this economy stuff come back into line. You won't, you won't see inflation run away the way that it is, but it is, to your point, going to take some time because the leading indicator is the wholesale market. And last month, that was over 10%. So we talked about 6.7 in November. You're looking at over 7 in December in January. You still have some chasing to go before we get anywhere close to seeing these numbers come back down. And with the administration acting the way that it does as if it doesn't care, which, frankly, he's been in politics his whole life. He right. has no idea what any of us go through on a daily basis. Nope. So he, he's making decisions based on what he thinks uh, is best for, I'm not even sure, the planet, the, the world government organization. What's best for America is to fix some of these things and go back to the way that they were. Energy independence. Uh, encouraging people to go to work uh, with some safety precautions and getting our economy back running the way that it was. Yeah. It's, uh, you see some of the decisions that have come out of the, the beltway, especially the, you know, ones that have been made on behalf of the Oval Office of the last year or so right now. And it just boggles your mind as to who they really think they're affecting besides, you know, the working middle-class men and women and their families negatively. Yeah. Well, and, Yes, we'll just say yes. There, <laughs> there, there may be deeper meaning behind that. Oh, there, there, there surely is, and th that might be something for the the next time you join us. On that, we could talk to the the global perspective and uh, you know that whole twenty thirty agenda and all the stuff that's been going on with that tied into COVID. We'll have a good podcast on that one, Kelly. Last thing I want sure. to touch what you want, you know, and, and I think it's really important. Is any of the motivating factor for you getting into this race right now have to deal with with some of the things that you know people in Arizona saw inconsistently with the twenty twenty presidential election, especially in Maricopa and Pima counties? 
Yeah, for me, I mean, I think it has some to do with that, a lot more to do with what they're doing today. So I don't I don't support the federal uh, federalization of our elections. Okay. You know, the 10th Amendment gives the states the power to run their elections. And there there isn't evidenced broad reaching um, manipulation of, of vote voting ability or capabilities. And frankly, when you have some of these politicians getting up on stage and repeating a narrative without real basis, they do it over and over and over again. And it seems to be working because people aren't asking. They're not putting them in check. They're not saying, well, where's your information that backs this up? Oh, they're trying to suppress the vote. How? Where? Yeah. What's the suppression? What are you talking about? I spent the last little bit of time carrying around the ballot initiative that we have here in Arizona. To get it on the ballot, we need, I, I think it's like 500,000 signatures, but basically it's a voter initiative to require ID. I don't, that's not, it's not a, a crazy thought. I don't think it's outside the realm of what we should be doing. I mean, you see what's happening in New York. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. People will argue, people will argue that, well, the, you know, the consent of the governed and all of that stuff. But the truth is those migrants aren't legal. They're not here legally. You can't even talk about consent of the governed. You can't talk about constitutional protections. You can't talk about all of those things until we fix the method and the legality of migration. So uh, I would say um, I've, I've run multiple successful businesses, as you guys know, if you heard me talk about, and what I learned from most of my failures, <laughs> and that's where I learned the most from my failures. Uh, in this case, there's a lot to learn as far as election integrity and what we need from all of that, whether there is widespread change the election evidence or not, we have to restore confidence in our system. Yep. We have to get back to talking about how to move forward, how to bring everybody together, how to trust in the results. And, you know, I, I have this thing that I, I think really points the whole thing out. Pull a $20 bill out of your pocket and look at it. We have the ability to secure a $1 bill, a $5 bill, a $20 bill, and yet we can't convince Americans that they can be confident that we've secured their ballot. I mean, what kind of sense does that make? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It blows my mind. I, I can't believe I'm even having this conversation. It shouldn't, and not with you guys, just in general. It, yeah. it shouldn't even be a topic that we have to talk about. Yeah, it, it certainly shouldn't. And I know when, uh, you know, I went to do my kids back to school registration stuff yesterday and they wanted to pass out rapid tests for us to have at our disposal. They, they made sure that they wanted to take my... They took your ID? Oh, well, they made a photocopy of it. What? Yeah, imagine that. Isn't that... So... <laughs> it's a website. You want to get on a plane. You need one to take your kids to school. I had to show my ID to pick my children up from their charter school yesterday. Yeah. And if you're getting... Uh, you know, caught by the roving brown shirts who want to see your papers. Mm. You got to show your ID with your Vax card too, right? Or you're not getting your uh, caramel macchiato latte americano, whatever. No soup for you, <laughs> or soup. Yeah. Well, I, those authoritarians, I don't, I don't follow them. I don't, I don't subscribe to 
or give my business to people that have those kind of yep. requirements. Oh, and, and hopefully after the midterm elections, we'll be canceling a lot of them out. Yep. Kelly, it sounds like in addition to several businesses, you're running a pretty successful campaign now. It was awesome getting to know you today. I'm glad we invited you and got to sit down with you and talk to you on our show. Obviously, between now and the midterm elections, we're, we're going to extend an invitation back, get an update on the campaign, maybe a little bit closer to the, uh, you know, late spring, early uh, summer, maybe even into the fall. Why don't you tell our listenership where they could find you across social media's campaign website, whatever, so you get out there, help knock on some doors, share some social medias, donate. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you could find me on the web at www.kellycooperarizona.com. Uh, my name is K-E-L-L-Y, no other fancy spelling, uh, <laughs> Cooper, just as it sounds, and then Arizona. Uh, go on there. Take a look. Um, we're updating the website, adding you know podcasts and different things that we do so people can really understand who I am. But contribute. Uh, getting the media and the marketing attention to run a successful campaign costs money. Uh, it, a lot of people are turned off by people asking for money. But the truth is, in order for me to get my message out, I have to pay for ads. And in order to pay for ads, I have to ask for money. And that's really what this boils down to. So what I would, what I would ask for is people to go check it out. Uh, if you like what you read, if you want to ask more questions, by all means, most of the emails that come through there are sent right to me and I can respond to them. Uh, but contribute $10, $20, $5,000, whatever it is that you have that you can spare to bring the American dream back to Arizona's District 4 is what I would ask for. Yeah, 100% on that one. We, we've heard it. From a lot of our candidates, we've heard it championed from some of the bigs that helped Donald Trump get over the finish line in 2016. Matt Brainer came on this show uh, right before we started going into all our America First candidates, and he talked about the most important thing that you can do right now is find these candidates that are close to you, that you can identify with, that are really America First. Stop sending those 5 and $10 donations to Ronald McDaniel and all the people at the GOP and send it to the candidates that are going to go to the Beltway and help fix the problems that we have in Washington, D.C. right now. Well, and that's, uh, that's honestly, that's the truth. You can't give it to an overarching group. You need to find the candidates that represent you and contribute to them. Yeah, we, we had uh, Patrick Witt on, who was a, a high-ranking Trump administration official last week. He's running in Georgia 10 now. And he said one of the biggest things that, that really opened up his eyes to this whole money thing was after the 2020 presidential election, he went back home to Georgia, where he was from, to work on some of the stop the steal related uh, material. And when he saw all the money that was getting funded and advertised to help Donald Trump win the 2020 presidential election after the 2020 presidential election was going directly to Kelly Loeffler and uh, Purdue's senatorial campaigns for the runoff, it blew his mind and he had to like kind of start his own thing to focus on the election related stuff. So know where you're sending your money. Find these candidates like Kelly here in Arizona for who you can really trust and, and get out there and support them so we can get that America First agenda back to Washington, D.C. 100%. Thanks for the opportunity. Yep. Running in Arizona for Kelly Cooper, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Hey, thank you. Well, it was really good hearing from both of those candidates. It sounds like Arizona 4 and uh, New York 14 are in good hands right now heading yeah, into the like midterms. It. And we'll be sure to be bringing both Desi and uh, Kelly back. For you guys to listen to as we head more towards the actual midterm elections. Round and third now, heading home, last new segment. I think one of the things that's going to get a real big push, I mean, Joe Biden talked about it today, but it was extremely incoherently, so I don't really have anything from that. But the John Lewis Voting Rights Act is now going to be the big build-back crappier bill that's up on the slate for the uh, 
progressive radical left out there in the beltway right now and the thing that they're going to try to push into law, which essentially federalizes elections in the United States and uh, completely circumvents the Tenth Amendment of our Constitution, as uh, Kelly Cooper so elegantly pointed out when we talked to him just briefly ago. So let's kind of uh, get right into it. We, we've heard, starting back on January 6th, when Kamal Harris talked about the three worst types of insurrection ever possible. Honestly, um, right. And uh, she, she, she touched on this as well as, as someone who's, well, she's definitely not black. Wait, but, there's three types of insurrection. Well, yeah, there's Pearl Harbors, <laughs> there's nine 11s and then there's peacefully <laughs> oh, protesting. Right. Yeah. Boneless chicken wing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. And the witch. Mm. So let, let, let's hear the crappiest vice president in the history of the United States. Talk about <laughs> the John Lewis voting act. We must pass the voting rights bills that are now before the Senate. My the Senate. And that the American people must also do something more. We cannot sit on the sidelines. We must unite oh. in defense of our democracy oh. in order to form a more perfect union, oh. establish justice, oh. ensure domestic tranquility, oh. provide <laughs> For the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our prosperity and posterity. That is the preamble of the Constitution that President Biden and I swore an oath to uphold and defend. And that is the enduring promise of the United States of America. God, she even talks... Oh, she's so annoying. It's just so hard to fucking listen to, isn't it? Yes. What, what did the translation is, we must do everything we can to trample over the Constitution that protects you. Well, it's like if you know make it sound like the opposite. You know that no one likes you and you lost the coin toss and they're like, look, Gosh. I understand you don't want to do this and nobody likes you, but at the same time, yeah. it's going to take at least 500 takes with this other guy. Right. So no matter how <laughs> yeah, big of a... Yeah, that was weird. Like, he was standing in the back. Like, what the... He's standing in the back trying not to poop his pants. He literally, uh, he's faced <clears> on <throat> and probably like, 19 on his actual butt. Well, thankfully for us, and aside from the Constitution, there are a couple of people on the other side of the aisle, uh, non-conservatives, but more moderates, um, more specifically talking about uh, Kristen Cinema and the Great Wall of Joe Manchin. Hmm. Um, that are still not on board in federalizing these elections. I think both of them know that that would be the end of their senatorial campaigns if they were to feed into this and vote for it and, and would give the conservatives at least two more seats in the Senate in the midterm elections, which, which I think are things that they're both taking heavily into consideration. Uh, CNN stopped by not his houseboat or the hood of his Maserati to talk with There's Joe no Manchin. CNN kayaks? No, not yet, but to talk about him about this, this Voting Rights Act. And uh, here's Joe weighing in kind of middle of the road in it, as he always does. Just to be clear, you are open to the idea of using the nuclear option to change the rules to pass voting rights legislation on a simple majority. Let me just say, let me just say that, that, that to being open to uh, a rules change that would uh, create a nuclear option, uh, it, it's, it's a very, very difficult. So it's a heavy lift. And the reason I say it's a heavy lift is that once uh, you change uh, a rule or you have a carve out, and I've always said this, 
Anytime there's a, a, a carve out, uh, you eat the whole turkey. Hmm. There's nothing left because it comes back and forth. So you want things that will be sustainable. That's what you're looking for. So that common sense commonality, but if it's a, if, you know, I just believe that it's bedrock of democracy is voting, and we have to do what we can in order to preserve that. But let's just see. The conversations are still ongoing. I've been talking to everybody. We've been having good conversations for about since we left two weeks ago. So, Senator, I just want to try to put a minor point on this. Okay. So the 60-vote threshold, are you willing to change that? And you are involved in ongoing discussions, as you just mentioned, with your colleagues. So there must be some openness. There's, a, there's, there's basically the, the, the need for us to protect democracy as we know it and the Senate as it has operated for 232 years are extremely, extremely high bars that we must be very careful for willing to cross those. Uh, so... I'm talking, I'm not agreeing to any of this to the extent I want to talk and see all the options we have open. And that's what we're looking at. So they're bringing all the experts in, what type of options, what we can do. We've talked about talking filibusters, and we continue to talk about this. Some very interesting. We talk about motion to proceed. We should be able to get on the bill and should be dependent. We talk about also uh, uh, the ability to restore some privileges to the committees. They have some weights. So if something comes out of committee. Uh, and I think these are things Republicans and Democrats both could and should agree on. You just can't get more middle of the road on the argument than that. He just yeah. won't weigh in. People are talking. I'm listening. He goes, but, you know, he always responsibly goes back to, listen, the Senate's operated proficiently or kind of proficiently for the last 230 plus years. And, you know, it's one of those things that we just can't because we want to ram a piece of legislation through. They they start the first part of that talking point was nuclear option, nuclear option. That's, you know, circumventing the, the filibuster to kind of get around it and, and getting something that's going to basically change the Constitution through with less than 60 votes. So it, it's one of those things, uh, you know, it's it, it it's always up to good old Joe Manchin to kind of get out there and, and get ahead of them trying to put words in his mouth because he'll be the first person to squash that. Mm-hmm. You guys get any politicians in the UK like Joe Manchin, who's not really a conservative, but at the same time he kind of like is like one of those more stoic, not super liberal, not super progressive, doesn't need you know, all these uh, pronouns and all that other stuff. He's not really woke, but he, he holds some of those less conservative values. Oh, gosh. I mean, ugh. I, you're putting me right on the spot here now. I've got to think of a name off my, ugh, from my head. The, the British politicians, in my opinion, are either, well, actually, they're mostly pretty wishy-washy. Um, I feel like they are all much of the same. Um, it's a li- little bit less, um, as you guys call it, um, partisan, like, in terms of, you, for you guys, have just a two-party kind of constant arguing. There's normally there's three main parties in this country, so there's a bit more of a kind of it's a lot of like center. It's a lot of it feels very centrist. Um, even the the Conservative Party are the you know the right wing, but they're not their center, right? Then we have the Labour Party, the left wing, but they're just center left, and then the Liberal Party, who are not what you guys would consider liberal as the same term they're just pretty pointless and just water down the vote and they just like get involved in whichever side of the argument they think you know is going to help them out at the time and um i just felt there's nobody bold at all and and the last bold politician we had was nigel farage to be remembered oh yeah um my favorite i've I've followed nigel for years he's same he's just 
like I've kind of, uh, paid attention since 2016, especially because when Trump won, yes. um, there's nobody, there is either really left or right. And no, they're, 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 like, to me, they're all like just, the center. they're but all Nigel's just probably, beige. beige. Nigel's not even like far right extremist. He's just, no, but that's what they call him. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's like, a realist. He's a yeah, realist. He's, he's, he's like, like us. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, sorry, it wouldn't really answer your question as you asked it, but um, it's because the answer it doesn't really necessarily exist in that in, in in the same context. This country is just is just a bit different, and um, and um, I I suppose I have actually just been um paying too not, not I couldn't be paying too much attention, but too much attention to the global geopolitical um climate and America. Um, I'm kind of tapped out from, and then that's one of my goals this year is to actually, um, so the next time we do talk and I'll have this much more prepared, I'm, I'm going to tap much more into my country's, um, bullshittery <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can, um, provide a lot more commentary on that. Cause that's, that was one of my goals for this year, but yeah, it's very much beige. They've all got their own names and, you know, party classifications, but they pretty much all do the same shit that it says on the, you know, it says on the tin, like. But yours is very much more divisive and just, you know, um, but ours is a little bit um, different and it's all very, you know, all the arguments and stuff that you, know, you see on, on in Parliament are all very, very posh and proper. And am I right on all gentlemen? It's just all just load of old shit, basically. <laughs> and you, this, the same result always comes out, no matter what, like we all know, you vote for this, you vote for that, and nothing ever really changes. And people like Nigel Farage, who I believe should have been the Prime Minister of our country, but he couldn't have been because of the way our ridiculous... Um, voting system works it was just never going to happen um he would have been amazing um in my opinion that my dream was to have donald trump and he was the president of your country and nigel farage it would have been amazing that'd be pretty amazing i can agree with that yeah. one as well <laughs> you know joe manchin did mention some of the experts that they were bringing in behind closed doors to talk to them someone who really isn't an expert but is extremely good at both taking facebook money to Ooh. sway state elections and federal elections in addition to Probably eating contest champion, she thick. Stacey Ooh. Abrams tried to fit on the screen with Chris Hayes of MSNBC. Damn. Get ready for it. Well, let, let, let's hear how one of the worst election integrity wear inners talked with Chris Hayes from MSNBC last night. I am excited and very supportive of the Freedom to Vote Act. It mm. takes the best intentions that we have yeah, for protecting our democracy and concretizes it, making sure that we have uniform standards across this country so that the quality of our democracy doesn't vary from geography to geography or based on your race. Geography. Those are two important steps. And what this bill does is it takes the important pieces that we need to protect our democracy yeah, to protect our elections and modernizes it oh, recognizes that the challenges we faced in 2020 and 2018 have now been joined by subversion of elections by threats and intimidation to election workers and to voters mm, and false. it responds not only to what we knew we faced <laughs> but to false. new challenges that have been brought forward by the legislation that's been passing in 18 states and that is pending in 49 states so the Freedom to Vote Act is an incredibly important step forward and in tandem with the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act will protect our democracy and allow us to keep moving forward. 
We are under assault by those who would <laughs> declare themselves insurrectionists, <sighs> who would undermine the very fundamental premise of our nation by undermining our democracy. And so I want the Department of Justice to be at the forefront of pushing back against these laws. I want them to be at the forefront demanding action. But we also need our Congress to step up. We need our executive branch, we need our judicial branch, and we need our legislative branches. And the Freedom to Vote Act ensures that the legislative branch takes its step. And what we're doing while we Get wait is making there, sure that the Justice Department, who works for <laughs> all of us, that they are doing their best to ensure and protect our access to the right to vote. And hopefully with these two pieces in place, we will have a judiciary that recognizes that its responsibility is not partisanship, but patriotism, and will defend oh. the right to vote and start to... I just can't. You know, it's one of those things, too. She specifically pointed out that 49 states have either already passed or have on the docket legislator to better secure their elections, as the 10th Amendment of the Constitution clearly states they should be doing. Yeah. And what she wants to do is support these radical, progressive voter rights bills, which basically destroy all of those and federalize basically Mark Zuckerberg elections moving forward. It's the Time Magazine article across the board. Yeah. And, and it gives them the freedom to do it without calling it either conspiracy theory or illegal, which a lot of it probably was in the 2020 uh, presidential election. And uh, that's exactly what she's, you know, out there stumping for right now. I've had conversations with people where they're like, well, and blah, 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 this voter suppression. I'm like, how is this voter suppression? Like, so stupid. It, 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 your your narrative is falling apart because if everybody's going to wait in line to get a COVID test and show their ID yeah. or whatever, mm-hmm. then you yeah. can wait in line and you can wait vote. Line to vote. Yep. <clears throat> but my but Very I need good. my rapid test. But I need my rapid. Test. I need a rapid vote. <laughs> yes, I need a rapid decision. Yeah, rapid election decision. I didn't have that last one, did I? Now, one of the things that they are kind of scared about is is some of the sweeping changes that'll come with not passing these bills and the huge anticipated red wave that's going to come in the midterm elections. Um, Mm -hmm. CNN's Dana Bash weighed in with two other probably non-experts and and partisan hacks talking about this, especially some of the comments that uh, um, the Senate minority leader or the House minority leader made recently about removing and kind of like payback all of these people like uh, Eric Swalwell, Chuck Schumer, Elon Omar from their committees after the midterm elections. Let's kind of hear this take on it. So, Dan, a final question. It's widely believed the GOP will shut down the committee if it regains control of the House in November. Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy is now Talking being very public about his committee. intent to go even further and to remove key Democrats from important committees. Here he is today. The Democrats have created a new thing where they're picking and choosing who could be on committee. Never in the history have you had the majority tell the minority who could be on committee. But this new standard, um, which these Democrats have voted for, you look at um, Adam Schiff. He should not be serving on intel when he has openly, knowingly now used a fake dossier, lied to the American public in the process, and um, doesn't, doesn't have any ill will. So he kicked off Schiff. He also said, Danny, he'd kick off Ilhan Omar and Eric Swalwell from their committees. Perfect. Is he right the Democrats opened the door to this uh, with Marjorie Taylor Greene and others? He, he's right to a certain extent, extent mm. except for CNN. a really important caveat here, Aaron, and that is the reason Democrats 
did what they did is because historically speaking, each party handles its own when it comes to the committees. They reprimand and punish their own when need be. And in this case, Kevin McCarthy didn't do it. If you go back in time, he did it with Steve King when Steve King made series of, of racial, racially insensitive uh, remarks, but he didn't do it for this crowd. And that is the reason Democrats say they they acted. Well, and well, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene was kicked off of her House committee for, you know, arguing some of the talking points with COVID and then going out and speaking against the way the January 6th detainees are uh, being treated in the in the gulags over there in Washington, D.C. In addition, you want to talk about other people that have been kicked off. Just the most recent, Dr. Paul Gosar, mm-hmm. he was kicked off for a fan-submitted anime video where a likeness of his head was attached to some huge barbarian <laughs> that was slashing through AOC and Joe Biden. Now, Dana Bash on CNN goes out and compares that to someone who really literally got caught making awful racist comments at one point and needed to be removed from committees in addition to being removed from the House. You know what I'm saying? And and when you try to compare the two, like a fan-made anime video and then somebody (laughs) dropping N-bombs in back-channel emails, it's two totally different things. You know what I'm saying? It, it it doesn't it doesn't add up, and it's it's one of the thing that terrifies them right now. In addition to losing the majorities in both the House and Senate, it's losing all of their power, like the fake January six committee that they've got going on right now. In addition to, you know, all the other committees that they sit on, like they pointed out, Adam Schiff just sits on and lies. Like, how can there be a committee when there's been no actual crimes being prosecuted? That's an I know it's point. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's like Clark and Clark and Maris. They're only they're making it worse for themselves at this point. It's just, it's it's bad. I mean, let them show themselves. You know, it's gonna backfire like it always does. They've painted themselves right now into a really damning corner, and and I think that's one of the things that uh, they really didn't expect. I thought they were gonna be number one. They thought they were gonna be more well received. They haven't been. Um, Joe Biden was touted as the most popular president in the history of the galaxy. <laughs> Definitely hasn't been <laughs> this galaxy anyway. You're talking about YouTube and Facebook have had to remove the like the, the like button. Yeah, so <laughs> it's one of those and and the people watching numbers. Yeah, like the little live people attending thing. Like they, if you if you need an argument for just seeing how disingenuous that everything is now, it's the fact that they're having to hide how unpopular this person is, uh-huh. and and not even like unpopular like people out yelling let's go brandon or whatever just like actual like view counts on something as simple as an internet platform yeah donald trump covid speeches every day three hundred thirty thousand people watching it every day joe biden goes and talks about you know some of what's touted as the biggest legislation in the history of progressive politics three thousand people watching it. and 700 went on just to dislike it yeah so it, it, well, it's, if, if anything, they're probably I mean, now that they're not showing the numbers of people watching, but the numbers of people watching are probably less because people can't go on there to dislike it anymore. It's like we don't even need to use the bots anymore. Yeah. So instead of listening to Joe Biden talk about this Voters Rights Act, which he did incoherently today, Jen Psaki weighed in on it yesterday briefly and wanted to talk about that and some of the changes they're trying to make to the Senate rules in, a, in, in an attempt to slam this through. Let's hear her last take on it from uh, yesterday's presser. His plan is to sign voting rights legislation into law that requires a majority of senators to support it, uh, at, even at, if there are changes to uh, the the uh, the Senate rules, which is something the president has expressed an openness to. Come on, Jen. But let You're me give you a little that. bit of a preview of what people can expect uh, to hear from him tomorrow. 
Um, I would just note that the backdrop of where he's going is vitally important here as we were planning the trip in a, it's a, in a place with profound civil rights history, the oh, Atlanta God. University Fire Center Consortium on the grounds of Clark Atlanta University and Morehouse College in Atlanta. Uh, the president will forcefully advocate for protecting the most bedrock American rights, the right to vote uh, and have your voice counted in a free, fair, and secure election oh. that is not tainted, tainted tainted by partisan manipulation. He'll make clear in the former district of the late Congressman John Lewis that the only way to do that are for the Senate to pass the Freedom to Vote Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. That doesn't sound like anything coming from like How about new? a king or anything like that. The only way to fix voting is to pass this act, period. Nothing yeah. more punitive than saying something like that. Why don't we just fix voting? Imagine yeah, that. that. Weird. That, that, that would make sense, wouldn't it? Well, if there's one thing for sure, it isn't. This is not a voting rights bill. (laughs) This is like the build back crappier version of a voting rights bill where probably a very small majority of the money goes into federalizing national elections and an overwhelming majority goes to the garbage, which we usually uh, hear. Marsha Blackburn weighed in on the Senate floor yesterday. Let's hear her take. The election bill they're prepared to break the Senate rules to pass has failed multiple times under multiple titles and in different packaging. This has gone on for the last 20 years. Mm. But this latest round has one thing in common with all the other drafts that found their rightful place in the trash can. It has nothing to do with protecting the ballot box. This is not a voting rights bill. It's a sweeping takeover of our democracy and a shocking attack on the constitutional authority of the states to determine the time, place, and manner of elections. You agree with her, Antoinette? Kind of the picture we've painted for the whole episode, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, common sense. Yeah, that's one thing that, that's one thing that this uh, administration or regime as we call it has not pointed out the fact how many times something similar to this and believe me there's a there's a lot new there's a lot more new literature and and legislation in this than in the past but versions of it have failed under both conservative and liberal uh presidential administrations because they know this is one of those things where you just don't go back from oh yeah definitely well in our last clip of the day, and, and, and pretty comically, I had the standalone clip, which I thought was funny because Noah could have said insurrection like he always does. Yep. Nancy Pelosi weighed in over the weekend on this Voting Act bill, not from the point where she spoke at a funeral and slipped off the podium. I won't say shit because she was probably hammered, <laughs> uh, but she was, st- she was still up on Capitol Hill, and she talked about it briefly, saying that for people not to support and get this bill over the finish line is like a continuing of the narrative that was the heart and soul of the worst insurrection in the history of, of the United States, worse than a million nine elevens put together. So disrespectful. Yeah. Fuck that. However, it wasn't for those comments. It was how her hair and makeup was kind of put together. She looked a little king of pop ish. 
Oh, oh is this that's why right. this is going around about Michael Jackson? I, I see, I missed it, but then I've started seeing memes all over the internet and on social, and I'm like, what's going on? Yeah, I was like, well, they had they actually had Michael Jackson. They dug him up for something. So like- I gave you the best of both worlds. Our favorite paid op, Tucky weighed in on it last night and gave a little lead in Tucky. on how she looked, and then actually played the clip, which you'll hear towards the end. Let's hear it. So yesterday was Sunday. You may have found yourself on the couch, idly flipping around the TV dial. And if you flipped far enough, you could have had the shock of your life. Michael Jackson was on Face the Nation. Now, to be clear, this wasn't video of Michael Jackson performing his hit songs in the 1990s. This appeared to be a living version of the international pop star that news reports claim died of a drug OD more than a dozen years ago. And yet, despite those claims, there he was, fully, undeniably Michael Jackson, talking on television. How can that be? Honestly, we have no idea. We're not theologians here. This is merely a news program. We can only show you what we saw. Here it is. There's nothing more important for us to do than protect our Constitution and our democracy. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a a legislative continuation of what they did on January 6th, which Mm. is to undermine our democracy. See? Michael Jackson. That was him. No Billy Jean. Apparently he's given up singing. Now he's telling lies about politics. (laughs) Wow. Same man. If you've ever seen Michael Jackson, you cannot forget the face. So admittedly, <laughs> he's had a lot of work done since we saw him last. <laughs> Got him. Got him. Sucker. <laughs> I can't. That's amazing. Yeah, she looked pretty rough. You think they're yeah. like... Which, which, which version of uh, Nance was that? She, there was like two. There's like one with like, like, like the crazy, like, you know, almost comedy drawn on eyebrows. And there's another version that actually has really nice eyebrows. That's a different one. Like, oh, it was, I don't know if that. It was the crazy eyebrows. That's the one with the... Ah, uh, uh, the best one. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one that has, like, the weird cutouts for yeah. her actual eye yeah, sockets. Yeah, yeah, Mostly Peaceful <laughs> Memes, who was a guest on our show last week, did the, for every 50 likes that this meme gets, I'll make her eyebrows higher. And by the end, it was like, <laughs> it was past the cone heads. So, it, it was one of the... Yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. And, and Consequently enough, he'll be joining us again next Friday with uh, a couple special guests. But uh, talking about special guests today, Miss Hannah Kirkpatrick, it was a pleasure having you join us on this uh, Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast. We always love hearing not only your take from the UK, but you helping us weigh in on U.S. politics and politics worldwide. Uh, We want to be able to direct all of our listeners for... uh, who are hearing you today, maybe for the first time, to go and find you across social medias, wherever you're at, wherever you're posting, whatever you got mm-hmm. going on. We'll live link everything for you in the show description. Why don't you let them know? Thank you so much, guys. I'm going to, like I said, next time, I'm going to get my UK shiz together. and I'm going to um, make sure I have a little headlines for you, but in my new style, not my old MSM style for the UK. Um, where you can't find me anymore is Twitter, because, yeah, got deleted off there last month for the last time. That was fun. Uh, we were know, last week. I did. Was it, it was got, actually yeah. like last month ago? Yeah, we got nuked last week. Oh, you did. Sorry, yeah. you did too. Oh, guys, sorry. Yeah, I just, did you see my video? I did a little video about like, Taliban, Al-Qaeda, they're allowed on Twitter. Not me. Little British girl, just ask some questions. And not and not you guys either. Sorry, guys. Well, let's have a, we'll have a wake. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, you can find me. It'll be on the show description, as they said. But if you are on uh, Instagram, New Earth Media 2.0 is the main account that I use right now. That's perfect. And thank you for having me so much. Thank you so much. If you've done a quick show, quick on the fly, 
and I look forward to next time where I'll 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 make it fresh and do some British news headlines. But it's oh, all just absolute bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Basically, is the translation. <laughs> You're not missing anything. I mean, Bannon's got a daily guy from the UK now too. We might have to, you know, try to. <laughs> oh well, I've got well. I'm gonna set my game up then. However, <laughs> my game. However, we we did have you first, and he still has not yet asked you. So, Steve, we know Denver's probably listening. <laughs> I, you know. I, I, I think you're safe. Yeah, New Earth Media think... 2.0 on, on Instagram, Denver. Go find her. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is, this is Miss Hannah Kirkpatrick joining us today to do the news. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks so much, guys. You take care. Just like that, another Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast in the books. What do you think, Noah? I like it. I'm That's into it. it. Not bad, huh? Not bad. Good one. We do what we need to do to get back. We also uh, bring you this podcast across every major downloadable podcasting platform. You can oh. follow Steak for Breakfast on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, and now even iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show and rate it. Leave a review. And don't forget to listen, download, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show credits today. Obviously, Hannah Kirkpatrick for joining us and uh, doing the news. In addition to Desi Quaylar running for New York 14 and Kelly Cooper, who's running in Arizona 4. Thanks for uh, helping make Steaks Great again today. In addition to our internet friends, Tagbro88, the Patriotic Babe Accounts, Mr. Garbaggio, of course, Christina Bob of OAN, and Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of the National File. Friends, go visit our partners. We love them. Small American businesses. With your help, they can be great again. My pillow. New sleepwear's out there. It's geezer related. Joe Biden probably wears it because he's always sleeping. MyPillow.com forward slash steak. Steak is the promo code you enter at checkout. And you can talk to a pillow representative at 1-800-658-8045. Odyssey. Noah, I like your headphones. Oh, they're great. Where'd sound, you get them? Sound delicious. Odyssey and odyssey.com. Oh, nice. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. The top tier of ear gear. Stay ready, ear holsters. Melted Kydex. Shape it up. Cool picture. Maybe even you want to do two partners. Throw a zero fuck stuck on there. Oh, wow. There you go. Stay ready, gear.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Man rubs. Gonna do some, uh, got a picnic pack of chicken for dinner today. Picnic pack of chicken. Going to do some uh, man rubs on that. Rub it up all nice and good and, and throw it in the uh, cast iron in the oven. Oh, there you go. Maybe a little honey, maybe a little BBQ on top of that as well. I haven't busted out a cast iron in a while. We're going to throw it in our mouths. Num, num, num. Manrubs.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram. West Coast Survival Arms. Go visit Mike. Newly redesigned website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Get all of your gun-related material taken care of. Uh, trade G's included. He's got ammo, and he's at 619-870-6992. And also on Facebook Messenger. First responders love Mediocre Medic. All their apparel's at MediocreMedic.com. Got a really good selection there. Everything's from uh, flip-flops to stickers and more. You can find them on their uh, Pretty Fire IG as well. And the top tier of Tactical Flare, Dumpbox, home of the Zero Fucks Duck. Dumpbox.us is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Go visit our partners. Go make them great again. Uh, We all here at the show wear all that stuff and use all that stuff and uh that's a perfect segue into uh upcoming shows what do you think noah yes 
Yes, it is. Hitting it and hitting it hard. This Friday, we originally had Amanda Milius on. She'll be with us the uh, 2nd of February. Instead, we're going to bring you possibly a better show. Not saying anything bad to Amanda Milius, but Cash Patel will be back with us. And in addition to that, Grand Old Memes. Yes, that Grand Old Memes will be joining us to do the news. Apparently, all of the meme Patriotic Meme Alliance wants in on Steak for Breakfast to do some commentary with us, and we are more than happy to host every single one of them. Um, next Tuesday is going to be our 100th episode. Norbin Laden, former host and creator of Steak for Breakfast, Nick, and Geisha Montez will be joining us for that extravaganza. Next Friday, we've got a big one and a special announcement. In addition to having Lynn's Piper Loomis, who's Nancy Mace's primary challenger right now, and Donald Trump endorsed, will be also joined by Bo Hines, who's also Donald Trump endorsed. In addition to, also, also Trump endorsed, now gubernatorial candidate out of the great state of Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano will be joining Steak for Breakfast as well. Nice. It's going to be an awesome episode next Friday. Following week on the 25th of January, we're going to have Jameson Ellis, who's running in Texas, too, and Jack Lombardi, our third House candidate out of Illinois. He's running in Illinois 14. On the 28th of January, former Kaylee McInerney, assistant, press secretary, Caroline Levitt, who's running for a House seat in New Hampshire 1, will be joining us. And like I already mentioned in the beginning of upcoming shows, on the 4th of February, we'll be joined by none other than the director and creator of the greatest documentary ever, Amanda Milius. She'll be joining us as well. Really looking forward to all those upcoming shows. Friends of the Week, some of the usuals, Real Brenda Memes, The Silent Meme Majority, Dumbass Photoshop had some fire ones this week, Yeah, Madam America, Dank Elvis, I love all their drinking memes, they're super funny. Midnight Mitch coming in strong on Twitter and now on Instagram. Go follow that account. What I meme to say, period, in between each word. Truth on Draft, the Duke of Memes, Mr. Sublime and Slime, and we can never forget Pubertos. Guys, thanks to remember between now and next show, we've only got three of them currently, and they're super, super, super easy to remember. First one, do your own research. You always want to be prepared for uh, the show, and the only way to do that, or to fact check us is to do your own research. Start a podcast. Noah's, he's uh, live editing, making memes, it looks like, or maybe our show art for today, yep. and podcasting at the same time. So, Noah, easy? Uh, yeah, well, you know, depends how good at multitasking you are. And that, you don't really do any work for the show, right? I do it all. Oh, perfect. And then between now and then, and don't worry, we're a little bit over a week away from breaking down our newest and first Trump rally of the year. As Pop always says, let's see what happens. This has been episode 98 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. And on behalf of the entire team, I'm Roan. Noah. Bye. See you Friday, Antoinette. Bye, guys. Excellent job, dear. Love you. Thanks for listening and take care. I'm aware of the individual, sir. Uh, I don't have the specific background to him. Well, there are a lot of well, people who are understandably very are concerned, understandably about concerned about Mr. Epps. On the night of January 5th, 2021, Epps wandered around the crowd that had gathered. And there's video out there of him chanting, tomorrow, we need to get into the Capitol, into the Capitol. 
This was strange behavior, so strange that the crowd began chanting, fed, 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 fed. 